Hey everybody, it's time to go beyond the wall. There's a big party happening there. Hopefully we're not too late. Seems like a lot of people have already left early. Things are getting a little cold, you know. I don't know, a lot of ice involved. It's, it's a weird party. An ice skating rink party? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't skate on that ice. It was kind of thin, you know. It depends on, uh, some of those lakes are pretty treacherous. I want to say to start off that, you know, imagination, it plays a large role in Game of Thrones. A lot of times there are things that on the surface don't make a lot of sense unless you take the time to think about them. Now sometimes they still don't make sense after thinking about them, but whether they do or not, imagination comes into play either way. Now this does sometimes fill in head-scratching gaps, but it also lets us play with the pending unknowns. So the latter part of that's fun, the first is kind of just, well, how do we make sense of this? This episode gave us a lot of that, while also laughing at many of our previous guesses. We <laughs> guessed a lot of things that did not pan out. <laughs> Sometimes they, they leave the imagination to things that could have been better explained with one line of dialogue. A lot of things we're going to clarify today wouldn't need to be clarified with a few of those one-liners. And I'm glad that these answers exist. I'm glad that our imagination can find the answers sometimes, but at the same time... We shouldn't have to do that so often. And this episode was was Game of Thrones in a nutshell like that. It was there was great acting, great dialogue, there's fantastic scenery, cinematography, but there was confusion. There was a lot that needed to be explained to make sense of it. And, you know, that that doesn't always leave you with the best viewing experience. So, put another way, I personally had mixed feelings about this episode, but my but that said, my imagination is still running wild with how it sets up the rest of the series. I mean, you can maybe not love this episode or even dislike it, but still acknowledge, like I am, that it does leave us in a cool place going forward. You know, a lot of things like, what was all that weirdness with the dragon? Well, we still wound up with an ice dragon, and that's cool, yeah. right? So, anyway, I'm Aziz, and this is Sean. We've got a Shea over here running production, and we're still tooling with our volume and sound, new sound setup, so let us know if there's anything off with that. If it's not sounding right, Shea will be keeping an eye on that. Sean, what did you think of the episode? Give us your first take. Uh, along the lines of what you were saying, uh, my, my, my quick take is I thought it was good. There is definitely some problems with it, but along the lines of what you were saying is that I think this show has a lot... Well, first of all, it just has a massive audience, all right? So it's going to yeah. be all kinds of slices of people watching it. And I think for the most part, this show has... One reason it's popular, and a huge slice of this show's audience are people who are... I, I can't quite pick the right word, but I'm going to say invested or mature viewers, people who are going to actively think about what's going on and why they're going to watch episodes twice and have discussions with their friends. If you just want to watch this because it's cool, it's cool. You know, there's some sword <laughs> fight scenes and dragons. There's lots of cool stuff, but there's also a lot of layers to it and symbolism and a lot of like long-term mysteries and plot lines that come in and out of that weave themselves in and out of what's going on yeah. on the surface of the screen. And so on the one hand, I, I'm understanding or even expectant of the show doing things that you might scratch your head and have to think about. <laughs> because we do, we do. We scratch our heads and we think about them and we watch it again and we ask our friends and we compare notes and aha, we come up with the answer. We realize something was happening all along, da, da, da. But if you have that expectation of your audience, well, you can't screw us with lame stuff, you know? Because <laughs> there's other things you do that we scratch our heads and think about and compare notes and decide... That just doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know? So there's a little bit of both. There, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. If you, if you sit down and think about it and it makes sense, you're like, okay, well, they should have explained that, but at least it works. You sit down and think about it and it just doesn't make sense, then, yeah, you're like, well, what the heck? That was a wasted exercise. Like, And we're all, as, as so many of us are book readers, that's an exercise that really does pay off. And I've been saying for years, if you really look deep in the books, 
you very, very rarely find something that doesn't add up. It's like, wow, he even connected it on this deep, subtle, you know, unexplored level. The show isn't as good at that, but that's partly because it's an adaptation and you can't cover all the bases. You can cover bases with a few sentences that you can't, that you would need millions of dollars to cover in the show. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just one line of dialogue. Yeah. yeah. And that one line of dialogue doesn't cost a million dollars. That's just one line of dialogue. Yeah, that's another thing that sometimes I'm frustrated. When a show is doing something that I kind of like, scratch my head and roll my eyes and like, why did this? How did they? And sometimes as I as I go through that thought process, I realize, well, to do it a different way or to do it the right way or the way that I would have liked or whatever, they would have had to film three or four more scenes. They would have had to bring this character back. They would have had to maybe spend more money on an action sequence. They would have had to do all this stuff. So I guess I can understand how they kind of glossed over that. But there's other times where I think all they had to do is someone say... You know, I often reference the movie Thank You for Smoking because they do it in that movie. They're, they're talking yeah. about the production of a movie in space and they want to have Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie smoking cigarettes. And someone's like, isn't it oxygen? And I'm thinking, of like, all we have to do is say, thank goodness we invented the, what you call it, whatever. Your one on a dollar like, takes care of that, you know. And when I can come up with that one dollar, I'm not, yet, I'm not some, you know, <laughs> Hollywood screenwriter. I'm just yeah. a guy, well, I feel like if I could come up with it, they should have come up with it. So I'm frustrated in those moments when I feel like I could come up with something better to cover something than they did. But that one line of dialogue is often the answer. And sometimes the, you know, we had a room full of people watching the episode, and I'm sure we're going to get into it through this, but some of the stuff with the, the, the Night King and the dragons and everything at the end, the way that all played out, we started off like, why did this? That didn't make sense. Da, da, da. I'm slowly answering these questions and hearing the questions and thinking about counter arguments. Started to come up with a new theory. Started to re make realizations that if we weren't questioning the sequence and the writing, if you will, might not have come up with our theories. Now, if the theories turn out to be wrong, I'll be extra frustrated. But if they turn out <laughs> to be right, I'll be extra impressed with how they presented it to us. Yeah, know? it's kind of like some of the things that, why haven't they talked about this yet? Sometimes they do. They talk about it next cycle. Some people brought up last episode... Why didn't John and Jorah talk about the sword? Well, they did this time. They got to so it. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't mind if they never had because Jorah just didn't recognize it. And he like he yeah. didn't recognize it. He's like, you have to tell him, you know. So I've been more involved in Twitter. And uh, and that's been fun. It's been much, I feel much more connected to the community. And, and it also, a lot of people, it's weird to me how many people love the show and complain about the show. Yeah. Uh, which I, the fact is I see that in many aspects of life. And it doesn't surprise me much. And I find myself defending the show often, and a lot of times in doing so, I, again, I kind of realize, aha, it's like they have these light bulb moments where that must be, they did the, it, I do understand these people's complaints. Why did they do that? They wouldn't, oh, they did it for this reason, I come up with new theories, and, <laughs> and, and that's a fun thing to do, but it is frustrating, I haven't come up with how Jamie got out of the water and all his armor, you know, yeah, <laughs> I haven't come up with an answer for that's that. That's why we're with Braun as yeah. a merman for yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> And before we get deeper into the material, a couple of quick announcements. We have our ReadPop GRM box giveaway. We had our first winner announced on Saturday. That was Gabriel Lee from Australia. You can email us at westeroshistorygiveaway at gmail.com, and we will enter you in the drawing. We still have four more boxes to give away, so definitely get on on that. If you entered the first drawing, you're still entered. You don't have to re-enter. You're permanently entered for all five box drawings if you entered any of them. So you don't have to keep, you don't have to submit an email more than once. Definitely get on that. The GRM boxes are really cool. Sean and I, I see people pointing out that Sean and I have similar shirts. Yes, these are both Iron Maiden 
White Walker mashup shirts. <laughs> we didn't plan this, but once I saw that he was wearing that one, and this one came in the mail today, I was like, "Oh yeah, we gotta, it's we happening. gotta, we gotta pair up here." Yeah, like a couple of uh, podcasting whites of our own. There's a shirt that comes in the the germ box that we're giving away that I was gonna wear today. But <laughs> That's right. Based on the episode, I was like, "No, no, now is the time." <laughs> yeah, this is the right time for White Walker shirts. Maybe several because of the cold. <laughs> <laughs> And also, of course, want to give thanks to our patrons who make the our show possible. And you guys have been fantastic this season. We've been keeping our nose to the grindstone, covering the show. Lots of editing, lots of work, lots of thinking, but also lots of fun. So we really appreciate the support that helps us uh, get this out on time every week and with reasonable consistency as well. Also, thanks to our... So thanks to Jeff Gnarly, the Long Snapper, our History of Westeros' first sword, as well as thanks to our Dragon Rider patrons. That includes Lord Mark of House Joseph, the Snow and Winterfell, Rider of Masla Cartho, a white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons. Also, a top-notch chat mod. Thanks for helping us out, Lord Mark. Talanys the Talon is King of Gagasos, Rider of Talarius, a red dragon with scales, horns, and talons of Midnight Black, and Jinx of House Lyre. Green Queen of the Rainwood, Rider of Erogenia, a Sylphic albino dragon with amethyst eyes and opalescent wings, and also a very helpful chat mod. I'm not sure if she's here today, but she often is. We, as announced on Saturday, I know a lot of you didn't didn't weren't here on Saturday. The Saturday episodes are um, you know not for everyone because we do predictions and theories, and especially for this week with the episode being leaked, then. You know what? You know there's a lot fewer people that showed up, but still we had a nice turnout. A lot of people that stayed leak free, and we appreciate that. But we mentioned at that during that episode that we were going to have a chat about non Game of Thrones stuff after the credits today, and we're still going to do that if we don't go too long. If this episode, if we just spend a bunch of time answering y'all's questions and we end up going over three hours or something like that, we're not going to keep going <laughs> with the non Game of Thrones talk. We'll be a little burned, a little burned out. But if not, we will keep it on going. And deal with some non uh, Game of Thrones stuff for those of you guys who want to stick around. And if we don't have time for that today, we'll do it some other time. Uh, big super chat here from Brian Taylor. Thank you, Brian. The question is: So if the revived dragon becomes an ice dragon, couldn't it just build an ice ramp slash stairs for the army of the dead to get over the wall? I've already seen them drop off cliffs and keep on trucking back in the fifth season. Yeah, at hard home certainly. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, this is a big open question. Um. What does the revived dragon become? Like, what are its powers? This is one of those things I mentioned at the beginning. When I was saying it allows us to play with the imagination, this is a perfect example of one of those positive things. When we're filling in gaps with our imagination, it, it's it's a thing that needs to be done, but it isn't always the most fun. This is fun. This is like, what can this thing do? Does it breathe fire? Does it breathe ice? Does it not breathe at all? Because John was like, well, we're on the side of the living. We're breathing, right? That was his comment. It breathes confetti. It breathes confetti. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I think it could probably. I'm, I'm assuming it can still fly at the very least because its wings weren't damaged, right? Yeah. But the breathing part, I don't know. Like breathing fire would be a little weird, but if it does, there's our way for the wall. It. The thing is, it could fly even if its wings were damaged. If you think about it for a second, however much sense this makes, just give that there is a certain amount of magic in this world, and even. I don't know, in the lore of this type of fantasy thing, we accept a lot of stuff. Like, how does this skeleton move, right? It, it, like, if it doesn't have tendons connecting bone, but it just moves, we don't really question that. So does the dragon need to have wings? For, you know, if it's just like the skeleton of wings, a skeleton can't walk without muscles. 
You know what I mean? But it does, and we accept it. So I think the dragon could fly, even if its wings were damaged. Absolutely, because the dragon shouldn't be able, you're right, dragon shouldn't be able to fly anyway. Like, right, the ratio physics, of the of people, weight to the wingspan yeah. is, doesn't make sense. People who know these sort of things say it makes no sense. Yeah. But that's fine, they're magical beings, so, creatures, yeah. Now, I have some questions, not just beyond what its capabilities will be, well, maybe it's connected to what its capabilities will be, but what its origin is, because... This was different. Like, we see the, the whites, the zombie mass, they seem to just, like, come back from being dead. And so maybe sometimes it happens after a certain amount of time. And he raised them just with Based his, in a yeah. proximity to the Night King or a walker in general. We saw him raise his hands and get up. But we also saw them take the Crasher's baby, touch it with the finger, and the eyes turn blue. And that's what he did with his dragon. He didn't... They pulled it out of the water with a chain. He didn't raise with his hands. And he touched it on the head with his finger and the eyes open blue just like that baby. So maybe this isn't a white, quote unquote, white W-I-G-H-T dragon <laughs> or a zombie dragon. Maybe this is a white walker dragon. You, I, Yeah, I think it might be. The only difference between the baby and the dragon was the baby was alive and the dragon was dead. True, but still, point. I'm yeah. still with you on this line of thinking as far as a very, very strong possibility. Did the white act at the wall that attacked Jor, did it have blue eyes? No, but it's but that was season one, and in the it book it did. In the book it did. They want things to work. In the yeah. book it did, and they had them. They, they they had blue eyes in the prologue scene. You know, those yeah. they definitely had like the little girl turned her head around at blue eyes. That's right. So, that's true. I don't think maybe it maybe it woke when it woke up it had blue eyes, but when it was just, just lying there, it didn't. In maybe the books, it had blue eyes even when they were just lying there, yeah. and they were all creeped out by it. I've speculated a bunch about how maybe there's just different. It works differently in different ways. Maybe it depends on how long you've been dead. Or, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, I, I want to go ahead and throw this out here. My new name for Viserion, just change the S to a C, and you've got Viserion. And yeah. <laughs> Viserion? Uh, it looks better written out. <laughs> it doesn't work as well verbally. <laughs> anyway, we'll, get, we'll, we'll have more on Viserion a bit later. We've got a couple other things written in our notes for it, but this will that gets you, gets you started, and we'll you know, be coming back to it. You do, you do remind me when we were talking about, you know, in the wake of the show, just kind of like processing all of it. And I was supposing that the Night King has some design and organization and that the same way Danny, you know, or, or anyone might be upset about one of their companions being killed. The Night King might be upset about his, you know, John slashed down that, that other and, guy, and I didn't yeah, know what to call walker, him yeah. if he's like his, you know, his general, his second in <laughs> command, his logistics officer, his vice president. And I didn't realize it's his vice president. And for now I'm referring to that slain. <laughs> White Walker as the vice president. Damn, Former what have I done? <laughs> the late vice president. Yeah, Dornish Dan here uh, with Super Chat says, Showrunner says the Night King took advantage of an opportunity in killing Viserion. Viserion. So, are there any arguments for the Night King plan to trap? Absolutely there are. And as you said on Twitter, which I think is a great point, Bran saw this in a vision. Bran is, you know, got all these skin-changing powers, ward powers, green seer powers. The Night King is got a lot of those same powers, and he knows how to use them. He's had them for a longer time. He's, yeah. They're probably more focused and more powerful. I mean, look what happened when Bran sent the ravens up Night King. Like, it was like, poof. Get you're, out, you're out of there. Yeah, so they're they're on the same... They're like they're tapping into the same sort of magical energies, I, I guess. Because the children empowered... You know, he's got the power that the children gave him, and then something else. Plus, and that's what Bran is dealing and with. And these types of visions have come from characters other than Bran. Jojen. Mm-hmm. Sandor. Sandor can have a vision of yeah. things to come. Why yeah. can't the Night King? Yeah, absolutely. And based on Sandor's vision, which maybe Beric and other characters also had, they decide to go north. What if the Night King has a vision of himself throwing a spear at a dragon? Well, all right, I will get some chains, 
<laughs> you know, like, get ready for this. A yeah. lot of the things that at first people were like, how do they, why did this, that, uh, maybe it's because they're intelligent. There's a plan yeah. all along. Mm-hmm. He saw this coming, et cetera, et cetera. I assume we'll talk more about this, but we to will. quickly answer your question, I think it was a plan and a trap. I agree. I totally agree. And a super chat from Gray Area. Well, sh- thanks, Gray Area. Shout out to Gray Area Podcast. Great job. Great uh, YouTuber there. Love your podcast. Is the dragon a white walker or a white, given the way it was changed? Okay, well, I guess we sort of just talked about that. I, we're definitely both leaning towards white walker dragon. Um, maybe it'll be ridden, you know. We haven't seen their horses have blue eyes. We've seen these undead horses, but their eyes aren't blue. Well, oh, the, the bear had blue eyes, so it's still yeah, kind of like... Yeah, some huh. do, some don't. Another thought that I have, by the way, I've, I've seen people pose, not just for Game of Thrones, but in general... The, what, the nature of a dragon's intelligence, if you will. Are they just these wild beasts? Or are they intelligent? May, can they understand English? And it seems often like, you know, horses and dogs can understand English even though they can't speak it. They don't have the right vocal cords. And maybe they're understanding as much the intonation and the body language as the specifics of the words. But regardless, they seem to be able to. Dragons seem beyond that to maybe have a connection to their riders. Maybe this dragon is going to have a connection to the Night King. Maybe that's part of why he has blue eyes. And maybe also it will mean he can make more conscious decisions about what to do and not just be this wild animal. Maybe he can, like, in the same way that Drogon seems to respond to Danny's desires, maybe this dragon will respond to the Night King's desires, making him even more scary of a threat, right? You know, one other thing about the dragon... Well, I'm sure we'll have many other things about the dragon. One thing I want to get out real quick. I don't know how many of you out there may be part of the gaming world or paying attention to anime, but there's this thing called Yu-Gi-Oh. Yes. And the feature character in Yu-Gi-Oh is Blue Eyes White Dragon. And if any of you are interested, just Google that up real quick and you'll see a million images of Blue Eyes White Dragon. <laughs> yeah. I saw, I got that, he showed me that card long after the episode and was like, <laughs> well, dang. <laughs> Well, that was uh, very prescient of them there, huh? <laughs> we have Winterfell here. Winterfell is, well, a good example of something we misinterpreted from the trailers. We saw a lot of things that weren't there. <laughs> Yet somehow, we a couple people on Saturday accused us of, of reporting <laughs> on leaks, pretending that we hadn't seen them. Anyone who thinks that is being very silly, given how many <laughs> things we got really, really wrong. <laughs> We thought we, for example, we thought we saw Misty Eyes in both Sansa and Arya. And neither of them, that wasn't the case on either. Yeah. We totally misinterpreted what we were seeing there. I guess we were reading into into it. Captured just the right freeze frame moment of someone being upset or something. You can make it look different than context of everything around it. Yeah, it was really, um, yeah, it was really different. Now, something that I thought was really cool, that would back up just a little bit. Uh, Michelle is going to show us a screenshot here that I had planned for earlier that I kind of skipped over because we were talking to all y'all with your great super chats, and I kind of forgot. But this was a really cool visual way to introduce the episode, which was passing over along the painted table with the fireplace in the background, which is kind of like, you know, we stop at the wall and that fire is burning beyond the wall. That was really cool. That was really good, and... um, as many criticisms I have for this episode, there's still so many things they did really well. Yeah, I had forgotten about that. It was a quick moment, and it was a little non-standard for what they typically do, but it was beautiful. And I, yeah. someone somewhere came up with that. Man, they should be proud of themselves. <laughs> Basically, what one of the things we do on Saturday is we take a trailer inventory. We take all the things we've seen in the trailers, and we kind of work with that to see what we haven't seen yet. Shots like that 
I, I don't usually consider as part of trailer inventory. And that was in the trailer inventory. I never considered it because I, I know we've seen trailer painted table shots and it's not telling anyway. It doesn't reveal yeah. anything. Like I, there's a lot of shots that actually we did miss from the trailer inventory that just because they didn't tell us anything. Yeah. Like Tyrion standing there at the edge of the cliff with the dragons flying around. I, there's been several shots like this this yeah. season. None of those told us any more than any other ones. Um, and it's not like it's hard for us to guess that they're going beyond the wall anyway, especially once the season progressed through a few episodes. But just that the idea of that visual image and I don't know what quite what I don't know symbolism is quite the right word, but that representation to show us the fire to the north with the fireplace relatively north of the painted table. I, I thought that was really clever. Okay, so we're back to Arya and Sansa. Now, this is kind of a tired trope. The sisters that always fight. And part of the problem here is, apparently, and I didn't verify this, it's just so easy to believe, though, is that they don't have any female writers right now. And that causes problems when you're writing woman-on-woman scenes, and especially when you're writing younger women scenes. Because this is not, it's not that men don't know how to write women, it's that they didn't live through these experiences. They didn't live through growing up as a woman, and that just gives you more perspective. So it is a little bit problematic, if not a lot problematic, that they didn't, that some of these, I see a lot of women are like, this is not how it would go. To be fair, Sansa and Arya have never gotten along. You know, they've never gotten along. Like, Arya's throwing stuff at her. And Sansa's looking down on her, even when they were kids. So they've never particularly been close. But I agree that it's kind of a tired trope to have sisters fighting. Yeah, And and (laughs) even if there was a woman writing, I imagine a woman who grew up with three older brothers might write differently than a woman who grew up with three younger sisters. Might grow differently than a man who grew up with no siblings and so on and so on. There's a lot of different perspectives here, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up without brothers or sisters. So, like, my perspective is totally different. I don't have any, I have an only child perspective, you know. That said, I still would like to think that they would have more diversity in the writers, and that if this is problematic, that may be part of the reason why, you know. Right. And now, if 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 there were some women writers, which you would expect is kind of normal out of enough writers, some of them you would expect to be female, they, people wouldn't even be able to raise this complaint. Yeah. Not that they shouldn't. I'm just saying that, well, well there are women writers, so I guess it's not that. But be, this is what happens, you know, when yeah. you... You, um, you cast doubt. Yes, so. you cast doubt, exactly. So anyway, but we're not, we don't need to dwell on that, I think, but I do think it's important to point out. Now, Sean, you caught something interesting here that I didn't notice. Shay's going to pull this image up here as Arya and Sansa are chatting on the ledge there talking about her archery anecdote, which was really cool. I really liked that anecdote. It was really good, especially because it just makes Ned's, you know, just like, man, Ned was really good. <laughs> he was a good father. You notice that this this meat in the background, which is kind of a cool detail. It was a thing that I realized it might be a justification for this conflict between Arya and Sansa is that they did leave off in pretty negative terms. It's they were already sort of squabbling as sisters. You remember, like Arya's like flinging Arya, food at yeah, Sansa. She lied you know I mean? about what happened with Joffrey and and yeah. and Nymeria. Arya's got a good reason to be very upset about that. Like she lied to, for Joffrey instead of for her own family. It was yeah. Uh, there's a lot, there's a yeah. lot that this scene I thought was so good, despite what even I, who am maybe trying to find some justifications for it, beyond the tenor of the writers, uh, still struggle. I still think they're at best, like, pushing this too far too quick. Like, even if this conflict was bound to happen. That's kind of how I feel, is that this was something that maybe is inevitable for Arya and Sansa to butt heads. But I think Arya is going too quick to judge her too with, with in a threatening way. I, I don't like it, but... Let's just say that this conflict's happening. I think we can find reasons why it might. Already, Arya 
stirs up trouble, makes fun of Sansa, flings food at her, right? Then Sansa, trying to defend Joffrey, a Lannister, a little punk, you know, ends up... Now, now the thing is, what ends up happening is Sansa's wolf gets killed here. Sansa does she end up suffered. being the one who's punished. Now, yeah. I guess Nymeria does get sent away. It's not like Arya doesn't also suffer, especially given that the butcher boy gets killed, her friend. Yeah. And on one hand, you can blame Sansa for that, but... You can also blame Ned, who actually kept like if 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 Arya wants to put Joffrey and Ellen Payne on her list, well then she's got to put Sansa and Ned on the list. And she forgave like, Sandor. Sandor's actually the one who swung the sword, it, who yeah, killed the butcher's so, boy. And uh, it's the same thing. It's like, well, if I didn't, well, they're going to throw me in jail or kill me or whatever. It's like Sansa's like, what was I supposed to do? They were going to kill me, yeah. you know. And this is a problem that Arya has: is she's just angry at the world and looking for excuses to take out her vengeance with violence on other people and we we had this moment where she decides to go north after talking to hot pie instead of going south but is it really reasonable to expect first of all a young girl who hasn't fully formed as a person who just spent years training to kill on this mission for revenge she might suddenly have her heartstrings tugged towards home but it's not this perfect revelation of you know what Revenge is bad. I'm going to go home and be a good little girl. You know what I mean? She's still going to get pulled in this path that she was already on. And consider that when she gets there, that she sees Sansa doing what it's, you know, it does seem odd that maybe she's not properly supporting Jon. And uh, now Littlefinger pushing it even farther. I still think she's going too far too quick. I agree. But you can see where this is coming from. Yeah. It's it's not that she's, it's not the fact she's upset with Sansa at all. It's it's the level of viciousness. It's over the lower, it's over the top. And to to the you know is I think to their credit Sansa has a lot of really good like comeback arguments like oh you were training like you're here sitting here telling me I should have done something when you did nothing you know like where were you when I took back the castle when I got the Vale Knights to come here like those were those were good counter arguments I think that might be part of why Arya you know sort of backs down you know she Arya, just hands her the dagger and all that Arya know. had some good counter arguments too she did she's like well, I'm more younger than you were at that time you know? yeah. And I, I want to—I I don't know who to give credit to memes online, but there was a good one where it showed Arya saying that I saw you standing there when Ned was killed, you know. And then there's an image of Arya of uh, of Sansa like struggling and screaming, crying while Meryn Trant holds her. You know what I mean? It's not really—it's not like Sansa stood there and let this all happen. She was yelling and objecting and crying and physically being restrained by an armed man. Yeah. It's, it, Arya's being. She's being unfair, but again, you can see why she would be the same. Also, you can imagine Arya might remember it differently. There were moments when Sansa was up there in her pretty dress and her hair done before he's getting killed, you know, before things went sour. Sansa, you can see how Arya would have perceived this and how she's going to remember it, maybe, mm-hmm. especially in this moment when she's trying to exact revenge on those responsible. So, so I think a lot of people are thinking that Arya expected Sansa to find those faces. She left them, you know, in a really obvious place, just hiding under the bed yeah. and just a little satchel yeah. there, just as part of her terrifying her. You know, it's like this is part of scaring her. You know, and I think that, I think that's probably true. I think she because it, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, Do you think she expects Littlefinger to find them? No, um, I don't. Um, and let's let lead us to a question here. From Lady Suzanne Sinestral, a hand of the beard. Do you think Sansa and Arya are duping Littlefinger and putting on a show with their arguments? Otherwise, her so forcefully sending Brienne away makes no sense. Plus, I don't really think Arya should be that easily fooled. Well, it's one thing for Arya to be that easily fooled. 
On the other hand, what, I'm not sure it's that easy. I think Littlefinger's plan was pretty clever. I mean, it seems easy to us because we're seeing every angle here. Yeah. Right. So we're watching the episode three times and talking about it with all our friends. I think if she doesn't figure it out eventually, then that's that is too easy, you know. But uh, I think this at this point, she already has issues with her sister, so it's easier for her to believe bad things about her, you know. Yeah. And but I do not think they're duping Littlefinger at all. No, I don't at all. I think that. Like we said, as we kind of worked it out before, at first to sort of entertain that notion with Sansa as as into why she sent Brienne away. But no, I think that's this little finger raised doubts about who Brienne would protect if it all came down to it. And so she's like, well, I'm not taking this chance. I'm sending Brienne away. And she had a good use for her, too. Now, that said, she is being very naive about a lot of things here, Sansa is. Her whole speech to Brienne about not needing protection is just wrong <laughs> she absolutely <laughs> needs protection yeah. it's you know it's just think about how many kings and queens you know have king's guards and how how much they're needed i mean robert is was a badass fighter and he had a king's guard and they didn't save him from the boar but they probably may have kept him alive an extra few years you know <laughs> they may have kept him alive if they were more control of how much he was drinking yeah that's right it, you know now, I can see why Arya, I don't know if she's being straight naive here, because we just got a scene of the Lord standing up and saying, we're here for you, not John. And um, as Lord's telling her that we're here for her, you know, those people aren't going to turn on her. And she quickly tells Arya, I have hundreds of men here to support me. And Arya's like, well, they're not here right now. But yeah. you see where, it, it, not to say she isn't naive at all, but you can understand why she would have this confidence in her safety. Yes, yes. So there's a little bit of a hint drop there that not even Podrick is going to stay up there. And also that Podrick is getting pretty good at fighting, according to Brienne. But I guess Brienne and Podrick are stay together. And the fact that Brienne and not Sansa is going to represent the North of this armistice is really interesting. Because apparently John and Danny are going, going themselves, like straight up, as far as we know at this point. So it'll be kind of odd uh, for Sansa to not be there. Because all the actual leaders will be there except her and then... John won't be able to explain in person to her why he bent the knee to Danny, and that might have a ripple effect. It will be tough, but Sansa can't just think about it. She can't leave Arya in charge? Sansa can't leave. She has to stay. It's already bad enough that John left. Must be a Stark and Winterfell, you know, that those words are never more true than they are right now. Okay, so let's talk a little more about Bran. Uh, Some people are complaining that um, Bran didn't have much to do here, and I kind of get that. We talked about this already a little bit. Part of his own power. Some people are suggesting that he's the one who sent Benjen. I really don't think so. There's been no evidence that they can communicate, although Benjen was definitely sent by the previous Three-Eyed Raven to help, you know... I I thought the writers sent Benjen. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. What else has Benjen got to do in the North? He said, I'm going to help for as long as I can. What else does he have to do besides keep an eye on the army of the dead? It just makes sense that he would be there. I don't think he needed encouragement to be close to the action. He's that's Where else in the North would he be? He's watching the army of the dead, and they don't appear to be split apart. So he's there. He's keeping an eye on them. He can't get too close, or they'll see him, and he hears the action. You know, he hears roars and flames, and so he comes into the action. Now, And, of course, it's still, you know, a last-minute rescue thing, which can be cheesy, but... As far as why he was nearby, I don't think you need some sort of fancy magical explanation. It's just, where else would he be? I, I do struggle with it. That very question you asked, where else would he be? Why did it take him so long to show up? <laughs> you know what I mean? If he's up there keeping tabs on their army, he would have known the army was there at the moment 
that they were coming. You don't know. He already would have been in a vicinity. Well, he, he just so. wasn't able to do anything. Maybe. Like, I guess, what, yeah. what good would he? What, what good would it have been to come up on them when they're sitting on that lake, surrounded? Like, he can't do. He can't do anything. Yeah. Nothing. He, he can't help at all. I could see him maybe waiting for an opportunity, or if they if they attack, you know, he could have maybe distracted the Night King from behind when he's throwing that spear. Maybe he didn't realize that was about to happen. I'm yeah, not sure. I like, mean, there are things he could have done, but it's not reasonable to say he should have done that. Yeah. You know, because you you know. Anyway, uh, also a super chat from the snow in Winterfell. Since we're talking about Winterfell, is that invitation coming from King's Landing awfully strangely timed? The meetup is Tyrion's idea, not Cersei's, and there shouldn't be a set date yet, as the White wasn't captured yet. Is that Littlefinger's involvement? Um, you know, I hadn't thought about this too much. I hadn't thought about the timing of that invitation. But Cersei may be inviting them to come because she still is le- saying, you know, like acting like they're her dominion. Yeah, you know, she's still kind of like, well, these are my kingdoms. You, know, you, you may be, be saying they're you're independent, but no. <laughs> it could be that they're going to meet, whether or not they bring the the white. You know, they're, they're going to meet one way or the other. Again, this is the type of thing that maybe they could have given us a line of dialogue. We're going to meet yes. at this time, whether you're back or not. So if you don't get it, just come back, you know. But it is possible that, you know, that is that is a, a worthy consideration that that didn't come from Cersei. I, yeah. You know, I didn't yeah. think of that as a possibility. That's, that's a good catch. It may not amount to anything, but it's absolutely worth considering. The letter might be false. And Sansa went and burned it. Yeah, so there's not going to be any too, proof. Yeah, yeah it was kind of odd that she burned it, but... Maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why she burned it. <laughs> it seems like that parchment would just have value. You know what I mean? Like, just for someone else to practice their handwriting on. Or... Sansa likes fancy things. She's not going to use used <laughs> paper. <laughs> now, I have to weigh in on a theory that's coming around, that's been around for a while. I think it's kind of ridiculous. So, no no, no offense to anyone who likes this theory, but I am not on board with Bran is the Night King. That some sort of time loop is happening. You can't really, in my mind, jump from Bran affected Hodor in the past to someone being two people simultaneously in the same timeline. I just can't take that seriously. I can't say it's impossible. Of course it's not. Of course it's possible. Anything is possible with magic and time, you know, time travel especially. I'm all for brainstorming, but I don't even call this a theory. It's an idea. This is, theory is you need evidence for a theory, and this doesn't have any as far as I'm concerned. It has things that fit. Which is not a, that doesn't, that's not evidence. Evidence isn't things that fit. Evidence is things that point to this, which they don't. They just, it's an idea that you can't eliminate because there's yeah. just nothing to disprove it. But that's not how theories work. You don't start, you don't start with that you can't disprove this and work your way from there. No, the evidence is on, it's called the burden of proof. And the, evidence, the burden of proof is on the person making the claim, not the person disproving it. So until we have more evidence for Bran is Night King, I'm if, not with it. If that was, if you could accept that as a theory, well, then you could accept Bran is really Ned. Bran is really Melisandre. You know what I mean? Like yeah. You can come up with all kinds of other things. That's, <laughs> I, I agree that's kind of a stretch. In fact, I think it's, uh, I feel like after that moment with Hodor, a lot of people jumped up, oh, Bran can travel through time. I think, <laughs> I think that's a stretch. I think yeah. that just because one time we saw some sort of a time loop doesn't mean Bran is a time traveler. You know, that's, a yeah, paradox exactly. that occurred in time. He didn't have any control over what was happening there, and it doesn't mean he can do it again. And 
even if he could do it again, it might not have the same effect. He might get trapped there. Maybe it's a three-eyed raven doing it. Maybe it's a series of coincidences. It's, I think it's a, a lot of big assumptions that you make. And it, beyond anything else, I just don't think that's how they're writing the show or this series of books. It's mm-hmm. just not, it is, this thing that happened one time is not the way things are going. Yeah. Does that make sense? Just look at everything that's happened so far. Look at all the ideas about, that people have about where it's going. And you really think what's going to happen is it's all about time travel. It's just, you know, in, really the same way, right, yeah. in the same way that I don't think that Arya is just going to take out every house that's against her by poisoning their wine. That's just a thing that happened this one time that probably had a lot behind it building up to that moment. That she just isn't going to run around doing willy-nilly. That's yeah. not the way they're going to resolve all the conflicts of the show. Now, here's the thing I do think. Now, some people pointed out, and I agree or disagree on your own, it doesn't really matter, that, that the actor playing Night King is made up to look like Bran. That's entirely possible, and that might be intentional. However... There's the theory from the book says that old Nan flat out says is that Night King was a Stark. So if they look similar, it's because they're from the same family, not because they're the same being. You know, that's a yeah. much more simple or it's an Occam's razor explanation for why they look similar is that they're related, not that they're the same being. That's a much bigger stretch. And again, there's just nothing solid to, to point to that. Okay, we got a couple other super chats here. With John, uh, for Meredith Glassberg, thanks Meredith, with John, with John there, Sansa doesn't need to be in King's Landing. It feels like a trap. Yeah, it feels like a trap. Cersei is like absolutely planning for it. Tyrion is 100% sure. Cersei wants to do a trap and basically Tyrion's planning seems to be, let's make it so that whatever Cersei has planned, she's not going to do it because the counter, you know, the counter strike would be so powerful that she won't do it. I'm very curious what it's going to be. And it's, it's, you know, something we'll talk about a lot more on Saturday. We're going to analyze the trailer shots, see what else we can come up with. So more on that on Saturday. It's really more of a Saturday topic, you know, predicting what's going to come. But let's just say for now, I got, I don't really have a lot of ideas, but I agree it's something. It's something, and I'm really curious to find out what it is, but we may not be able to figure it out ahead of time. So far, we keep seeing Tyrion get outmaneuvered by the Lannisters. Yes. Maybe it'll turn around. Maybe Tyrion will finally get it right one time. Here. I hope so. But that, that yeah, I and maybe so. it will be I'm a not worried, though. <laughs> and maybe it'll be a Munkerich if Sansa doesn't show up, whatever, whatever Cersei did have planned. Mm, yeah. Might not work without Sansa there. Yeah, yeah, or might just not go as well. Let us go to Dragonstone. We've got this talk of armistice, which is we've kind of touched on already a little bit. Expecting tricks from Cersei is finally, I'm glad to see Tyrion acknowledge that because I was like, why is he trusting Cersei? And he's like, okay, he doesn't. Good, good. You know, that was like, <laughs> good. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's still, you know, having this big show of strength to keep Cersei from doing something is a good idea, but I, of course, I'm. Sure, it'll be enough. You know, he's she's got Kyburn, who's the cleverest man she's ever met. You know, with his tricks or whatever it is, and the, of course, a big part of this, big part of why Tyrion is concerned, is this whole issue of succession. The succession issue is really important, and this is something that I think is a little bit of a parallel. Daenerys and Sansa both still kind of have a lot of naivete about how certain things work, and they don't handle tough advice very well. You know, they're, they're still kind of, take, kind of take it a little bit to heart, even when it's just information. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe I'm not explaining that just right. But it's, the concept is that, like, if you think about how Danny reacted to some of Tyrion's advice, it's like, you're this and this, like, Aegon the Conqueror, he made the wheel. Like, you're saying you want to break the wheel, but this is a dude who made it. I would actually say, technically speaking... He didn't make the wheel. He made it seven times larger. <laughs> there were seven different wheels or eight wheels around Westeros. He just took them all and made one super wheel. But same difference. Basically, making the wheel larger is not is is just the same form of... 
It's, you're still in the wheel, you know, you know when you're I, doing that. When I was reading through that discussion, especially when you think of the examples that Tyrion gave of other people's system for choosing a successor, I think the wheel is this feudal system as opposed to democracy. Yeah. I think Tyrion's trying to say, look, as long as people are fighting over who leads because of their bloodline, you're going to end up with these wars and bad leaders. Mm-hmm. But if we come up with a system to choose our leaders, to choose a good leader in the first place... Which you might have to if you're not going to have kids. We might have to deal with this. And that's a good way. That's a clever... That might have been why George made Daenerys infertile in the first place. Part of that was to lead to, to, to this kind of sh- forcing them to consider new forms of government. You know, and, that, and they, it's a cool idea. They have brought that up a few times to, you know, the idea of... And I've seen people criticize this. Like, well, Danny talked about breaking the wheel, but what has she actually suggested? Like, what ideas of hers? What policies? What concepts that she's ever mentioned actually hint at that nothing as far yeah. as this point she Tyrion's the one who's like if you want to break the wheel we got to actually talk about how to do that you can't yeah. expect it to happen within one it might not even happen in your lifetime you know so we got a plan for the future Danny doesn't really want to hear it but Tyrion's right and I think she may come around on that kind of how she came along came around on like seeing Night King totally she's like you got to see it to believe it yeah. you know and which which by the way the Northern Lords and Sansa have not. Neither is Arya. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now you got if you got to see it to believe it. They are still, and they won't be at the, at the South either. If they unveil this white and show it to everybody, they'll still be the only ones who haven't seen it. It's funny. Cersei and Kyber and all they all have seen this before Sansa and Arya. Part of me wants. To, yeah, that is ironic that the Northerners will see it after the Southerners. <laughs> the, the, the Southerners who haven't even seen snow are going to yeah. see a white. <laughs> snow white. <laughs> Now, so yeah, so Danny is just adamant. She's like, no, not until I wear the crown. No, you know, and it was that same kind of like the the, the real thing that made that struck me as a parallel between Sansa and Danny is their inability to admit danger to their own person. Like Sansa's like, I have nothing to worry about. I'm surrounded by friends, blah, blah, blah. And Tyrion's like, those arrows that flew at you, like any one of those could hit you. She's like, meh. <laughs> I remember the thought that I had a moment ago is you would think Brienne coming back saying, whoa, I saw it. There really are zombies. You would think that Sansa would trust that. But based on the interaction you have with Brienne just now, maybe not. Probably not. You know? Yeah. Even I- Danny, who seemed to be like, okay, fine. She's like letting Jorah go north. You know, she seems yeah. to be accepting, okay, you guys aren't lying. There really are zombies. But no, now she really knows. Just, again, I said yeah. this before, just believing that they're there is different than recognizing the threats. I mean, Bran, to be fair, Arya and Sansa know because of Bran telling them, and they, yeah. presumably they trust Bran, but still, it's, it's still just clear in, by their behavior unless you they don't have their priorities yeah, straight. Unless yeah. you see it, you just don't know. Yeah, I, it's one of those things that you just cannot process <laughs> until it's until you, your eyes, yeah, just like Tyrion said, our minds aren't meant to solve problems like that, you know. Until it's in your head, it's you can't face it properly. It's pretty cool. So do you think that maybe this is um, going to lead to maybe some form of democracy or, you know, is it the break the wheel thing? Is it like a precursor to all that, maybe? I think it might be. My guess is that they won't get too deep into it. But I can't imagine toward the end of the series, especially if there's some contention over who should be king, you know, who who knows if or whether or when the information about John will be revealed. He might not even still be alive at that time. There, there's so many it's characters that... It seems less likely that some of these main characters might die now since they keep missing opportunities to kill main characters, which is what the show is known for. So maybe they won't do it after all. Maybe they're slow rolling it. But 
I could see a vote. I, in the same way, like the Iron Islanders got together and voted, the the, the Weichmann and the North got together. Terry, and Terry and even said, that was not a bad system. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what if they have a vote on who's going to be king? And, yeah. and say they... I like that they're bringing queen, those king up. Or queen. Yeah. yeah. I like that they're bringing these up of these other forms of government. It's like, look, see, everyone, people do it differently. It doesn't have to be the same old monarch and mm-hmm. descendant and all that. And I don't know if they're going to focus on that. They, they may never even reference it again. But it does seem like a way to work in some sort of real world concerns kind yeah. of like the idea of the environment or whatever it could come know. up but yeah I think if it's going to really come to the forefront of the story it'll be near the end end you know with maybe some more hints dropped in the meantime now there's also important references here to having children several hints are made about having children and both Tyrion flat out brings it up you know you can't have kids you know we know that so we gotta have a succession it's important to clarify he doesn't say she can't have kids he says that she says she can't have kids. Now, I believe her because, and there's evidence like she's been sleeping with Dario and obviously not taking any precautions because she thinks she can't have kids. Yeah. And well, Dario never got her pregnant. So, and they clearly did it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe Dario's shooting blanks, but that's, you know, that's, that would be kind of a little cheap, a little cheating. But maybe something will happen to make it possible. Yeah, or maybe, maybe it takes the right person. Maybe it has to be John or, yeah. or you know, whatever. But Some, maybe, magical. But maybe this is back to what we're saying. This is their vehicle to maybe have to kind of force them to come up with a new style of government, you know, or yeah. at least lead to some changes in how the wheel tent always has turned. You know, even that is a thing that exists in history. Is Rather than the first son inherits... The successor is named by the current ruler. It's not just the first son. They, but they, they pick from with, from among their kids, usually their sons in real world history. But plenty of real world emperors, kings, etc. Yeah, pick For their example. successor yeah. rather than from amongst their children rather than just picking the eldest one. So we're not stuck in this form of monarchy, um, even, as, even as long as it's been in place. Uh, so... Back, but back to the issue of having kids. And then Jorah says the same thing to John when they have their back and forth with the sword. We'll talk about that in more detail. But the key line that re- relates to this current discussion is him saying, keep it, pass it on to your kids. You know, keep it in your family. It's, it's your family. Yeah. now. I think in Jorah's mind, he's thinking Danny's kids. Yeah, I think so, It's too. a way for him to give the sword to Danny. He saw how they were looking at each other, and he's like, you know, he hates it on some level. But on another level, he's like, I'm not ever... She's not marrying me. He's accepted his <laughs> role, and he yeah. recognizes their attraction. And, and he probably is fairly impressed by Jon Snow now. Yeah, like, after yeah. seeing him in action, I mean, okay, this dude is legit. He's the real deal. He's a real warrior. He's a real leader. He's a real brave man. He's, you know, he's hard to dislike him. So to be fair, that <laughs> moment, he hadn't seen John in action yet. He had That was before. He, yeah. But the fact that John was even offering the sword back is an indication of his honor. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, Jorah may have, like, I can, I can almost picture, like, we don't have a Jorah point of view chapter in the books, but I can almost imagine this from just like, oh, man. He's like, he's like I want to kind of like, a, just in his head, like, wrestling with this idea. And then John comes and he's like, offers him the sword back. He's, man, you're making it really hard for me to hate you. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know? <laughs> you're just too, like, I, now I'm just going to hate you because you're too good. You know? <laughs> That kind of thing, but uh, another con- another conversation between Danny and Tyrion that comes up is this whole. Do you know why I like you? And he's like, well, I-, I honestly don't. <laughs> that was a great line. And he's like, You're not a hero. He's like, Well, gee, thanks. That's what well, do you mean? I'm not a hero. He's about very... to list off his heroic things. She doesn't yeah. even give him a chance. Yeah, it's very flattering. But thanks. <laughs> Which, by the way, is Danny trying to be a hero? Look where she got. Yes. She, you know, she complained about what heroes do, and then she goes and does it. I think it's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Tyrion also points out the same thing Davos points out, that 
John stares at you. Well, Derek Davos pointed it out too, John. It's like, oh yeah, you were staring at her gentle heart, you know, or good heart or whatever. And Tyrion's like, he stares at you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and she's like, yeah, pff, men stare at me. I'm hot. You know, what does that doesn't mean anything? You know, <laughs> she's got a point, you know, <laughs> but, but the bigger issue is that all those characters were like, you know, quote unquote, dumb heroes who just rush into danger, you know, without thought. And it's true. John is just like, maybe a little more, you know, maybe one line of dialogue, maybe just two more ideas should be put forward before we rush to this first idea, you know? Yeah. Maybe there's a better idea than capturing a dead white, you know? Maybe there's another <laughs> option. Let's just entertain. The, I know it's TV and they can't sit there debating all these possibilities, but maybe there's another idea. <laughs> Um, all right, let's take our let's do our let's do some mid roll shout outs here and take care of some business and then we'll get back into it. Thank you all for being here. Looks like we have well over 650 people watching live. A lot of y'all are in the chat, enjoying the chats. It's great to have less worry about leaks this time around. I guess there's still maybe some leaks out there for the last episode, but it's nothing like last episode leaking in full and full quality. Hopefully, we don't have to deal with that again. At least not at that to that degree. But yeah, thanks everybody for being here. Hit the like button and let's move onward a bit. Next up is shout outs for our Ironborn captains who are probably wondering what's happening with the Ironborn this season. They've been suspiciously absent since early in the season, but there is reason to believe that that Ironborn nap will cease and that we will see them in the finale, but we'll have more about that on Saturday. So thanks to Kathleen the Ruthless, Captain of the Night Terror, motto, don't fall asleep. Black Matto Stormrider, Captain of the Rusted Hinge. Rebea, Lady of Waves, Captain of the Iron Shadowcat. Tusk Shield, Breaker Captain of Kraken's Fury. Oisyan the Wanderer, Captain of Naga's Living Flame. Sir Selvus Redblade of White Harbor, Captain of Trident of the North. Lord Chucklaws, Captain of the Drummond Nightblood, Destroyer of Evil. Mad Zack, Captain of the Red Wake. Heron Burntbeard, Captain of Smoking Narwhal. And John Gregor, Captain of Fist of the Drowned God. To join Patreon or to, ch uh, to check out what Patreon's all about, go to historyofwesteros.com and click on the Patreon link on the right sideboard or just go straight to patreon.com slash historyofwesteros and check out all the different rewards and different things that we give back in exchange for your support. Heron, you be careful with that beard. Yeah, yeah, watch out. Sean's real worried about those burnt beards, man. Watch out for that. Okay, also thanks to our Blood Rider patrons. That is Kohol Koei, called Sun Piercer, Master of the Bow, and Vorsaki, which is the Dothraki word for flame. And she is the wielder of Valyrian Steel Arak with a dragon bone hilt. It is as yet an unnamed weapon, but fearsome nonetheless. I think it's cool that both of our Blood Riders are women. We are well protected by them. Now, in the this is one of those things that, again, I want to remind people that really it's really easy. I make the mistake all the time to get my book and show canon crossed over. And I get the biggest time to make that mistake is when there's new show canon to kind of throw us all off. So keep yourself straight. Get the audiobooks from audible.com. I'm not just pitching them because... You know, they're a sponsor, but because I listen to them on Audible, it is really helpful, really handy, and it keeps me straight on the facts. And with our sponsorship, you can get two free downloads with no commitment. You can cancel the subscription before you've ever paid, 
And you can keep those two free downloads. You can get Game of Thrones on audio. You can get The World of Ice and Fire on audio. You can get Dunkin' Egg on audio. You can get The Rogue Prince on audio. There's a lot of these, a lot of the material, all the material is basically available on audio, and it's a great way to, to, to take in while you're out and about. You know, reading is better because you can be more focused in a lot of ways. But hey, bring Game of Thrones with you when you're walking around, um, you know, jogging or doing chores outside or driving to work or whatever have you. It's a, it's a great way to get extra Game of Thrones into your life. I see, see a couple people in there in the chat saying they love the audiobooks, uh, vouching for them there. Yeah, good to, good to say. Yeah, absolutely. I can vouch for them personally, and so can apparently a lot of our commenters. All right, so I divided the Beyond the Wall section here into two parts. But the first part is the Beyond the Wall chats, the conversations okay. that happened before the action. And this was the thing I think we looked the most forward to, other than the mysteries that we couldn't possibly predict, like what's going to happen, how is this all going to be resolved, we knew there were going to be conversations, or at least we strongly predicted it, all this walking around. We went way out on a limb and predicted <laughs> that they were going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> While walking, yeah. Sure enough, they did. And it was it was as good. It definitely met my expectations. I think this might have been the strongest part of the episode. These conversations, a lot of really good ones. They were, as, as usual, they went from funny to meaningful to poignant to clever to insightful to just all around interesting. We'll start with Gendry's whinging. This is kind of metaphoreshadowing, not for the show itself. And Gendry is not wrong. His complaints are accurate, but they're just not going to matter. And that's why they're pointless. Like, they were whinging. Because what's what's the point of bringing that up now? Yeah, they screwed you. But right now, we got to go deal with White Walkers. Like, this yeah. is a much bigger problem. And what is your complaining going to do right now? Nothing. It can't. It's not going to amount to anything, which is how I feel about a lot of complaints leveled at the show. <laughs> not that we shouldn't make them. Not that they're not valid complaints. It's just that... What's the point? What's the point of complaining? There is one point, venting. Sometimes you want to vent yeah. about, you know, it's annoying. You want to vent. Get it off your chest. And Gendry needed to get that off his chest, just like a lot of us sometimes need to vent about the bad decisions that sometimes get made in creating the show. There's nothing wrong with that. I've My only problem is with when we, when people just, like, stay there. You just yeah. get into a complaining mode and you just... Oh, every day, you just complain, 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 like that. Like, okay, there's a time for complaining, but it, to me, it's a short time. <laughs> yeah. And then you move past, focus on the good, and enjoy yourself. That's just me. I brought that up with the, the Tyrion-Jamie dialogue. When, uh, you know, they, they had, like, these bits of anger that had been stewing in them. They needed to get it off their chest, and then they're able to move on. And uh, another moment, a little bit of a tangent here, but... When we got done watching the episode and we're all, everyone at our house had been watching it, we start talking about it. And most of our talk is complaining about how fast can a raven fly and how do, <laughs> why did the Night King have chains? And we're, you know, kind of, we're mostly complaining about some logistical stuff. And one of our friends pointed out that that, that in it of itself is a problem. And, and at first we kind of felt like he was upset at us for nitpicking at these things. But really he was saying that it's a problem that Game of Thrones hasn't given us better things to talk about than these nitpick issues. Yeah. But the fact is, we spent a solid hour or so like talking and conversing and complaining and researching or whatever about these things. But eventually, I'm thinking about the the trial that Arya has gone through and the trial that Sansa has gone through and how that's going to play out with their interactions. And I stopped thinking about how fast a raven can fly. You know what I mean? So once I got it off my chest, if you will, I moved on to what I think is more valuable analysis. You know? Right on. Yeah, so the next conversation that I have on the list here is John and Jorah. We have the long claw conversation. Shea is pulling up an image here of him handing it over, which is a nice little still that shows this conversation. It's kind of it was pretty cool. I like this conversation. It was a good chat. Jorah said the right things, John. 
It was kind of like going through the motions, but I'm glad they went through those motions. Like, everyone kind of yeah. said what you expected them to say, yeah. but I'm glad they did it. It was just one of the things that if they hadn't, you'd be like, you know, that would have been good if they had done that. And I wouldn't complain like they should have done that, but I'm glad they did it. It'd be almost like if if John and Kendry never talked about Arya. <laughs> yeah, that one I would have I would have liked for them to have that conversation as well, but it just didn't happen. I guess they just decided to have other ones. Yeah. But yeah, I would have I would have liked that one to have been thrown in there too. <laughs> and yeah, and, and Jorah says Gior, you know, Gior gave it to you. He made that call. You know, my father made that call. My father was an honorable man who makes good decisions, who cared about the Night's Watch, cared about the North. If he made that call, it's your sword. And not only did he make that call, because John even tries to argue back a little bit. He's not here anymore. Now I have it, and I can make a call. And Drawer responds with, I gave up my right to it. You Maybe you could or should give it to someone, but not me. I gave up my yeah, right to it. You, sh- you should just it. keep yeah. it. Give it to your kids. And he yeah. said he wouldn't feel right with it. He's like, yeah, so, yeah. you know, it, it, it works. Sandor and Tormund have a cool conversation that was both funny and meaningful. And he, it's cool to see Tormund kind of figure it out. He's like, oh, you had a bad experience with fire, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's like kind of obvious. It's on his face. It's like, yeah. But he realized that it was as a kid. He's like, when you were a kid, did you fall and trip into a fire? And he's like, nah, blah, blah, blah. I just hate gingers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. And he's like, you're with Brienne of Tarth? Figure, you know, that figures. He's like, well, I'm not with her, mm-hmm. but, you know. <laughs> it's you know, really look, funny. The way she looks at you like she wants to chop you up and eat your liver. He's like, you do know her. <laughs> <laughs> Their interaction was great. And, but I, I, but between Sandor and Tormund, that was all the best dialogue. And I think of the season of what stuck with me most was the, the dialogue with Sandor back in the first, it was the first episode when the Brotherhood yeah. found the home that mm-hmm. Sandor had been to in the past. Yeah, yeah, that was really, really good. Um, and, of course, we see Sandor recognize the mountain shape like an arrowhead you know after they've been walking for a while he's he's like oh we're getting close and you know he already believed the vision was real he was already pretty convinced for a skeptic he was convinced right away because like i'm seeing things in the fire that's you know that shouldn't happen so this must be at least somewhat real then he actually sees the mountain that he saw in the vision he's like all right well that's as real as it gets (laughs) that was by the way the same mountain that was in a background of the vision of the first white walker being created by the children of the forest that was Ah. the same mountain it's green it's like the the it's not a frozen wasteland, but mm. it's that same structure, that same mountainous structure. But okay. So they can see it in the distance. Yeah, so it's probably their, their birthplace is probably much farther off in the distance because obviously you can see a mountain I, well before you get to it. I, I think it's the other side because the, 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 the grain, if you will, of the rock is going this way, mm-hmm. the way that they see it walking toward it like in this episode. And yeah. on the other one, the grain is this way. So I think it's just the far side of that mountain is where that ceremony was. Yeah, yeah. So then we have Tormund, these conversations aren't necessarily in the order they occurred in, but Tormund and John have a conversation, and this is very interesting because it's got huge implications of what happens later in the episode, which is, even Tormund thinks Mance was too proud. Even Tormund, a wildling, thinks, yeah, it was a tough spot, but Mance should have knelt. And maybe some of that is just, you know, looking in in hindsight, because it looked how bad everything meant. At the time, Tormund may have been like, yes, don't kneel, you know, but... Clearly, he's had time to think on it, and either either he realized it then, or he's realizing it now. Not, but his decision seems pretty clear. Not just time to think of it, think on it, but a new perspective. He's been he and his people have been rescued and allowed into the South, and you know, at least on some level, yeah, yeah. And, and there's still maybe some contention, and you know, you don't just suddenly change generations of tradition or whatever. But yeah. It is changing, and Tormund is a leader among this changing time, and so you think that not not only does he have more time to reflect on this, but he's doing it with new insights. Yes, very good. I agree. 
And next we have Barrick and John, which is a great combo. We knew we had the two undead had to talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we knew from the trailer that, you know, there's this great speech Barrick gives. You know what? Something I realized I should have done to me earlier, but when you have an eye missing, everything sounds more serious. <laughs> you know, like, I guess it's because it reminds you of like Odin or, or yeah. Bloodraven or whoever, you know, from myths. It's just like one-eyed dudes... Even though they have less ability to see, you know, if you've got one eye, you've seen some stuff. You've yeah. been through some business, you know, like this dude's lost an eye. Like he has been out there. He's been fighting and he's recovered and he's living when this, you know, like this. You don't, you don't think like, a, you don't look at that and think this guy's naive, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and especially because of um, Richard Dormer, right? It's easy to remember because he has the same last name as Natalie Dormer, but they're not related. You know, Marjorie and is the same last name, but no relation. His voice is so good. He yeah. is just like, it's almost like, it's almost weird that they brought him back, but it's been so good, you know? I can't quite put my finger on why it is I want him on screen more, and it might just be as simple as his voice. Yeah. It might be He's good. <laughs> what the writers wrote for him to say and his role in this whole thing, but uh, I definitely want more of him. I want more of him as much as possible. And there was, theirs was the only conversation, I think, out of all the different pairings that had no humor to it whatsoever. There was no joking at all. Yeah. Very serious. And Barrick even says, you won't get any, any joy out of this. Yeah, that's you know? true. But it's the yeah. right thing, basically. And he's like... And and John responds with the Night's Watch vow, which is a great time to bring that up. That was really well placed. He's like, I'm the sword. And he's like, he doesn't... He's like, yeah, I don't need recognition. I don't need honor. I just got to do the right thing. And so you they don't really necessarily even that. need explanation. Yeah. It's just this is what you have to do, and we're going to do this thing. We don't yeah. necessarily even understand why, but we know it's our role. We've yeah. accepted this responsibility. It's like, you're, you're soldiers. You know, you just got to do this. And that's something that Cersei says to Jamie earlier. He's like, soldiers shouldn't... He's like, I've made my choice. Soldiers should know his. Mm -hmm. Right? And it, that kind of comes comes back around. Because I think Jamie took that to heart. He's like, yeah, you know, you're kind of right about that. <laughs> and uh, so that was really cool. I, I really particularly liked that conversation. But I was still really surprised that Beric lived through everything. He was like so high on our list. He was either first or second on our list of expected our, deaths. Our debates, our predictions last episode were whether or not three or four people would die. Yeah. Which these two are definitely going to die. And who's the third and or fourth going to be? That's yeah, what we were, our whole conversation was. We were off by, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm kind of glad because of the leaks. I'm kind of glad we were off on so many things because we <laughs> if we'd been right, people would have we just too been suspicious. more yeah. accusations of you guys <laughs> and then pretended and I was like oh come on we uh, obviously aren't graded on the accuracy of our predictions here <laughs> I don't know maybe that's why we haven't got to a thousand viewers yet <laughs> it's our own fault that you're not dancing on camera <laughs> we just we earned that it's our all, all it's entirely our own doing I know this is a weird thing to say because we, we talk about how much we like these characters but for the sake of being afraid for characters in general, I wanted them to die. You know what I mean? I want, I know this is such a weird statement to make, but I want tragedy. I, I want to feel some sadness. It makes the moments of happiness and the moments of fear more genuine when I'm really sad, when I'm really scared, and when I'm really sad. It enriches the whole thing. Yeah. And this show made its name on killing off main characters, and then here it is. It's finally it's, gonna happen. It's done a lot it still less of that. It doesn't happen, you know. It's so done a lot less I was a little disappointed. I was. It was bittersweet. Like I'm happy that Barrack lives, but I'm sad that they don't fulfill my expectation of tragedies. So. And that was part of my logic for worrying about Gendry. You know, a lot of people were like, oh, Gendry's fine. They wouldn't introduce him just to kill him off. Right? I'm like, are you sure? Mm -hmm. They need, they want to keep the main characters alive. So they can bring back other, you know, heartstring characters to kill off so that they don't have to kill off these core characters. So 
Luckily, I was wrong. I'm glad Gendry lived. <laughs> Make no mistake. I would rather be wrong about my prediction and have Gendry live than be like, I was right. You know, I, I, don't, I don't care about being right about that. <laughs> I get to say this real quick. Gendry went from rowing, rowing, to hammering, hammering, to running, running. <laughs> running, yeah. He, he, didn't, he got in very little hammering. He hammered one white, I think, before uh, running on maybe two. But he gets a lot of rings in. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a question from Lady Colfina Wolfhart that fits in really well with what's with Beric and uh, Beric's conversation. He says something interesting. He says, she says, her. Uh, the question is rather, so what's the deal with Beric commenting that John doesn't look like Ned? Arya and John are the only two kids that have the stark look, right? He says you don't look much like your father. You must take after your mother. Now, okay, that's, you're, you're, it's a good question. I really want to talk about this, but you're delving a little bit into book canon there. Arya and John are the two that have the stark look in the books. They look like Ned, and and everyone else looks like Catelyn. They all look like Tully. They all have red hair. Sansa, Rob, Rickon, Bran all have the Tully look. That's all. It's been mentioned. It's mentioned right away. It's one of the first bits of description in all the in, in the first book period. But this was a necessity of casting. John doesn't look like a Targaryen. And he doesn't look like a Stark. And he doesn't look like Sean Bean. Kit Harington doesn't look like Sean Bean. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Sometimes he wears his hair or his clothes the same way. but Yeah, he just doesn't look like anyone. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks like... A dude. A dude. He just looks like... I mean, he, he I think he plays I, the role I well. I could Jon Snow. I <laughs> but that's just the way. They just had to roll with Kit Harington not looking like... I even have a big scar on my heart. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is on the one of the original early marketing Game of Thrones covers... John looks has black hair on the cover and dark you know dark eyes and it's like oh so he Kit Harrington always looked kind of like oh he, this Kit Harrington kind of looks like that version of John but that version of John didn't look like the description of the Starks in the books because <laughs> yeah. they're not they don't have black hair you know so I don't know it's 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 just one of those things that eh, they picked the right actor based on his abilities to act not on his look you, you know, know aside from the look I wonder if there's something to Barrick's comment I wonder if Barrick on some level knows. Yeah. He's had some vision or some, has some feeling, even if he doesn't realize what it is that he knows. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder if he has some suspicion or direction of destiny about John and his true heritage. Yeah. it's mm, a good point. Also, getting back to Beric for a second, you know, we talked about how he's still in the, uh, still in the show. We kind of expected him to... To die. We really expected him to die. Like, we were very sure of it. We would have bet a lot if there had been odds to bet on. Yeah. <laughs> we would have lost badly. <laughs> but I'm, it makes me really curious. Well, you know, I'm, it's, I'm less curious about Beric than I am about what the heck's going to happen with this ice dragon. But I'm very curious about Beric's survival. He's still around. What's interesting is he appears to be staying at Eastwatch. Whereas Sandor mm -hmm. is going to King's Landing. John is going to King's Landing. You know, I guess they're stopping off at... Dragonstone on the way? I mean, they might as well. But Beric is staying there. That's really interesting to me. He is going to remain at the Wall, and maybe he takes the Black. You know, maybe he fully joins the Night's Watch or something like that. I don't even know if they're. I don't even know if they recruit. If they're taking new uh, recruits right now. Uh, this is something <laughs> to think about, by the way. The these characters that we thought were going to die, and it seems like they could have, should have killed them off, but they didn't. Okay. Yeah. As much as I want to complain about it, just like I said before, sometimes your complaints start leading you to new thoughts. Yeah. They didn't kill Beric off, so there's pro probably they're not just going to never have another scene with Beric. 
They didn't kill Sandor or Gendry or da da da. Now, I guess maybe Gendry did already fulfill the role. Maybe it's Gendry's not ever in the show again because he had the role of getting back to send a message, you know. But what role did Barak have? What role does Sandor have? Well, Sandor's got cool game. Well, we got that covered. Okay, but, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Barak, what role does Jorah have? You know, yeah. is it, maybe it's simply to go back and, and counsel Danny, you know. But we, we I can kind of come up with ideas for everyone but Barak. And so yeah. that is a, a big we did, history. We right? also didn't think about it ahead of time because that was like we were just so sure he's going to die. Exactly. We, we predicted yeah. why these other characters would live. We gave reasons for why they would live. And it just, so we didn't even come up with one for Barak. <laughs> yeah, Tor- I guess Tormund is another role. We got a super chat here. The Phoenix of Skanes asks, or comments, the only true moment I was scared that someone would die was Tormund falling in the water. Yeah, they and fooled. I was like, oh man. I was too. I was particularly surprised because we talked about how Tormund's the only name Wildling, so they can't kill him. We're like, they are, they are. I was just sinking, feeling. I was, yeah. My heart was sinking as he was sinking into the mm-hmm. water. And then they come and rescue him. I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, I guess I can't decide if I'm happy. Or upset about that or not, because I, I I was expecting tragedy, and here it is, and it's a good one. It means that just because he's the name Wildling doesn't mean they won't kill him. Oh, I guess it does mean they won't kill him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was really scary. And Tormund, Tormund's acting was really good. Like he he's like maintained his like animalistic like regressiveness, but he was still like he still yelled help at me. one point. Right when he's like help me, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he was still fighting. That like, got me, but like, yeah. like uh, that that made me sad. It made me sick to my stomach when Tormund said help me. I was like, oh yeah. no. It really added to the. Yeah, it was really good in addition to the to the tension of that scene. Yeah, I really liked that. And it was cool that the Hound of all people came to be the one to save him. Here's a super chat from Miss Arsenal 18X. Don't you think Viserion was a main casualty? Well, well, yes, but absolutely Viserion was a huge casualty, both literally and figuratively. But what <laughs> we mean was out of the characters we predicted to be there, we didn't even predict Viserion was going to be there. You know, if we had predicted the dragons were going to be north of the wall, we would have probably cons- strongly considered one of their deaths. But we were, were only thinking about the characters we knew yeah. would be on the wall. Not just that, by the way, even if you do look beyond that. Obviously, it's sad that one of the dragons die, and I easily can see people who are particular fans of dragons, or dragon riders, for example, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and maybe even mothers. You know, the way Danny thinks of them as children. I can I can see a lot of people out there feeling particularly connected and sad about the dragon dying. But me personally, and I'm guessing a lot of other viewers, they haven't really featured this dragon. They featured droid. It would have yeah. been more powerful. Mm-hmm. Like even if you were emotionally impacted by a certain. Uh, Viserion dying, <laughs> it would have been more impactful if it had been Drogon, right? Yeah, yeah. And and even Drogon, until this season, wasn't featured nearly as much. And if, just if you think about the the airtime, and I don't know how to equate like lines spoken, you know, but the, you know no, number of breaths of fire given, which is <laughs> given compared to lines spoken. It's possible that Drogon is on par with some of these other characters mm. for screen time. Yeah, regardless. that's a good point. But yeah. not Viserion. So Viserion's yeah, lesser known. That's true. From Jay Crook, another super chat. Considering the newly discovered dragon glass mine, why didn't they bring more obsidian weapons beyond the wall, like arrows and such? Well, that's a great segue because my first comment here in the beyond the wall action section of our document here is we learned a lot more about dragon glass, animation, and the dead in general. So we'll start with that since you are bringing this up. They did use, um, by the end, nearly all of them were fighting with Dragonglass. And I think it's hard to, maybe the thing that threw people off is that clearly show Dragonglass is a lot less brittle than book and real world Dragonglass. Which is fine, because it's already, you know, George R. R. Martin has already made Obsidian different in his world. So for the show to just make it stronger 
I don't care. <laughs> That's fine with yeah. me. I don't mind that. That's just, It's a small change. A few thoughts here. One is that I, I myself was a little confused about the Dragon Last thing, too. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of like, even within my own observation on the first viewing, wasn't properly absorbing everything. Because at one point, I asked myself, like, why aren't they using dragon glass? And then another point, I asked myself, Jorah doesn't have a sword? Why is he fighting with daggers? And I was like, oh, wait, those are dragon glass daggers. He's yep. using dragon glass. And I also thought there was an image of Tormund uh, before the episode even that I couldn't make sense of his weapon. It seemed to have a weird shape. It was dragon glass on dragon the glass like a axe dragon glass thing. Axe. Yeah. 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 And I did realize, I think all of them, except for John, who had a Valerian steel and sword. And Beric, who's flaming sword, obviously. Flaming sword, and I Thoros guess. Thoros had a flaming sword, too. too. Yeah. Right? Burning them will kill them. Dragonglass will kill them, Valerian Steel will kill them, and they all have it. At first, remember, Sandor did have that hammer, and that one white that he smashed down stood back up. And then another one stood back up and he smashed the glass, but then he throws a hammer down and pulls, pulls out, out a two, dragon. two dragon glass weapons. Yeah. So uh, what so apparently the dragon glass, when you stab a white with it, it, it breaks it just, the spell. It breaks yeah. the animation, which is why that bear just dropped exactly. when Bear stabbed it. Yeah, or when, we saw when them, Jorah stabbed yeah, it. Multiple people attacked it, even set it on fire. But George just stabbed it with the knife and, and, boom, it, and it just yeah. collapsed instantly. So well, you kind of wish he did that sooner, but yeah. it still it makes sense. It it does add up. It's consistent, and you can presume that those other wildlings, the unnamed red shirt wildlings, had spear tipped with dragon glass. So anytime you spear something, it just drops and it's done. It can't get back up. And that was set up with Benjen in last season. He described what happened. He was like, "They found the children found me dying, and they stuck dragon glass in me to stop the white the the reanimation process." So it was already kind of like set up by that. So I thought it was pretty cool. That was a good job of them um, kind of sneakily setting up the way this works. Super chat from the snow in Winterfell. Drogon and Rhaegal screaming when Viserion got killed was heartbreaking. My hopes of Tyrion riding a dragon died with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, you're right. I it was with it. Those dragon screams got me a bit too. Those, they were very, those were anguished dragon screams. They were different than just a regular old roar. And yeah, that just... My theory was Tyrion rides a dragon. One of the things that's going to happen in the last episode of this season is Tyrion rides a dragon. That is, that is totally tanked now. There's like almost no chance Tyrion rides a dragon now. Well, it's not necessarily totally tanked for a couple reasons. One, it depends on what you mean exactly by riding a dragon. Because we just saw Jorah ride a dragon. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I mean have his own dragon. I mean have yeah. his own dragon. Yeah, Tormund was on the dragon. Man, Tormund is like, I'm a wildling eroded a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, yeah. He may be a passenger on a dragon. I can easily see that. But whether or not he'll be a dragon rider, I'm more suspicious of now. Speaking of other things we got wrong, by the way, that was something we, we looked at that shot of Viserion, or sorry, of Rhaegal and Drogon. It was like, look kind of ceremonial almost. We were like, is this a wedding? Yeah. We yeah. were like, and she's all in white. That wasn't a wedding dress. That was just like a fur thing. It was like a fur dress, you know? I was like, oh, that's fur, not not lace or whatever. <laughs> I do want to point out, I mean, this show, it's, it's, it's something we don't talk about very much. And it's, I, I can imagine it being like, I don't know, a girly thing or something, you know, but I pay attention to the costume design. Oh, it's and detailed, it, yeah. First of all, yeah, they put a lot of effort into it, and and I know they're, not only does it look beautiful, but I know the work that's behind it. But not just that, I think there's uh, storytelling design behind it, and it's yeah. been pointed out several times, and I think we're continuing to see it. Danny has gone from dark colors and reds to light colors and whites. And I think that's a shifting from fire to ice, from Targaryen to Stark, to acceptance of Jon. I think that it's not just random that she was wearing white here. I think it's a specific design by the filmmakers to have her being white. Yeah, I agree with that. We have another super chat from 
Gildor Inglorion, 17. Thank you, Gildor. Uh, why doesn't anyone ever attack the Night King? Danny had three, then two, dragons, and everyone else had dragonless weapons. Why didn't they try to kill Night King in a Jamie-like attempt to end the war? Well, it seemed like Beric was thinking that exact thing. He's like, well, this is our chance. Go after him. Beric absolutely oh, that brought guy. that up. Yeah. Danny, the problem with Danny is she doesn't know any of that. She shows up. She doesn't know how any of this works. She just sees this bunch of dead things around. She doesn't even necessarily see the Night King standing there. Yeah. She's just trying to yeah. torch all these bodies everywhere that are... She's just dealing with the immediate, the immediate threats, right. the ones who are putting John at risk. Just That's like, her focus. Just like Danny does, dealing yeah. with the immediate threats. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, if she if she knew had known ahead of time, if she knew who the Night King was ahead of time, she might go right for him. But she just doesn't. She gets there and she's just like, "This is just a chaos. This is just a battle happening." She's like, "I got to save them," and she she doesn't yeah. even. I mean, there's like literally thousands and thousands of bodies down there. I can I can understand her not noticing who the leaders are of the, of the dead are. Yeah. I think that I think that's. That makes and sense. to assume that taking out the leader makes them all clash. They didn't know that until just now. You know what I mean? So, hmm. Here's another one from Miss Arsenal 18x. Thanks, Miss Arsenal. You're just crushing it today with the super chats. We appreciate it. Do you think also that the reason that John didn't ride Drogon was to set up him riding Rhaegal, his dad's namesake dragon, will be more powerful if that's his first dragon ride? That's an interesting interpretation because I didn't really like him being left behind. The way that was resolved, him being left behind, like him falling in the water, was a little like eh. I guess we can say that since he's been dead, the cold doesn't matter to him as much. That hasn't been established, but okay. I guess that's a thing, you know? Yeah. That's us using our imagination to make it work, you know? Maybe one line of dialogue would be better there, and then why does he need to recover later if he's... Maybe it's just that he has a greater resistance to it, but it still bothers him. It still hurts him a lot, you know? So that works. I but, do totally agree. Yeah. yeah. It so, makes it a more powerful moment for him to ride... For the first time he ride a dragon, be the dragon rider of... Rhaegal. So it might be kind of an awkward thing for them to do, but it's for a good reason to set up this more powerful moment. Yeah. So, you know, it's a little, you know, we'll give them, if that's what they, if that's their thinking, then uh, I'm, I'm cool with that. That's a much better reason than, I don't know what their reason was. Other than that, or like, why are they doing it this way? Just to make Danny worry more, you yeah, know? To bring Benjen back into it. Yeah. By the way, I had a funny realization just a few minutes before I started recording. They got that white. They got their white. They carried him over. They're sending him in the box. John rode back Benjamin's dead horse. <laughs> <laughs> they got a dead yeah, horse right yeah. there. Isn't that good enough? <laughs> it would have been funny if Benjamin, when he rode up to John, was like, look, if I knew what you guys were doing, I could have just given you my... I would have come with you. Jeez. Yeah, All and, this trouble. And he could have, yeah, he probably could have ridden that horse. If it's a dead horse, it's probably just going to get fatigued and be like, oh, sorry, the horse can't carry both of us. So yeah, yeah. that was a little, that was a little weak. But, uh... And it's so funny, it's just like, that moment was over so quickly. He shows up, he's like, Uncle Benjamin, get out of here. Like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> it did look really cool from a distance. This, from a distance, yeah. that whip fire ball thing. That he was fireball and chain. Fireball and chain from a distance looked really cool. This is another thing that's like a little awkward, but man, did it look cool. <laughs> okay, so we're still talking about behind the, behind is the it, wall action. Is it, all is it all possible Benjamin's horse isn't dead in the show? Because a bunch of people are saying he isn't dead in the show. But, okay, so a bunch of people are saying, I, I, I guess it's possible. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Where, How is this horse eating? What is it? How does it survive in the north for that long? There's no food. Well, maybe you know? he has to range back and forth to lower areas to get food. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Okay. They, yeah. I thought that too when they planted the fire to lure the White Walkers. Where did they get wood to set a fire? Maybe they brought it with them. Maybe it was on that sled. Yeah. I, uh, so... 
I, I was assuming it was dead, but I realized I might be superimposing an image of the zombie horses that the, the White Walkers are riding, and I might have just superimposed that onto the horse that Benjamin's riding. I'm Tell you sure. what, folks, we'll go look for some, some evidence. We'll go try to get shots of it, see if there's any clue one way or the other to whether it's alive or not. I guess it isn't out of the question that it's alive. I could be wrong with that. I was assuming it was dead, but yeah, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Maybe the, or maybe the children cast an enchantment on it. to Whatever magic they used on him, they gave something to his horse, too. I don't know. Maybe horses <laughs> in the north have evolved to eat evergreen leaves, pine needles. <laughs> so let's talk about the bear scene. This, we got a cool... Shea is pulling up a cool image of the flaming bear. Now... <laughs> Yeah, the flaming bear, the fire bear. <laughs> so this is finally we see what that circle was all about. Them standing in a circle, we finally figure out what that was. That was that was a surprise because it looked like they were about to fake because of the, the the storm was at its greatest at that point. And you even see like as they're standing, trying to grab that white and wrap it up and put it put the bag on its head. You can see the storm in the distance. And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, but it was never. But it didn't. Once it got close, it wasn't um, you know so hazy for everybody. So, uh, but. I'm wondering why didn't this bear just stop when it saw Mormont? Like, <laughs> it's a cousin, right? Isn't that family? Like, hey, oh, hi. Do, well, you, do, you, need, do you need a guide? It <laughs> the bear should if it wasn't a zombie. It would have wasn't a zombie. <laughs> okay, that that explains it. Yeah, it's yeah. probably what drew him in that direction. But then there's a bunch of strangers, and he just went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you you mentioned that little campfire thing that confused the the White Walker scout. I saw some people asking if Benjen set that. I was like, no, I don't think he because. They did. They set that trap. Yeah. And, you know, I guess they just used Thoros' sword or Beric's sword to light that fire, you know. We get some more implication of how this whole thing works with this scene. Of course it was like, oh, what? Why did only that one survive? That's cheesy. That only one of them survived. But, it, but no, they gave an explanation. The one that raises them is the one that you need to kill, which has a very obvious implication. If you kill the Night King, does everything die? Does even the other White Walkers drop? I'm guessing no. I'm guessing... The, the just the animated corpses stop, but I don't yeah. think it would kill the other White Walkers. But maybe. it depends on if you raise them or not. You know, maybe they were all raised in some other method, yeah, and he was chosen as a leader among them. Maybe even some of the Whites were raised by other White Walkers or other beings at some other time. It's, yeah, obviously we don't know all the. I mean, I do know, but I just can't tell you guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> Super chat from Gildor and Glorian: Can Drogon and Rhaegal reproduce? Yes, they should be able to. From what we know about dragons, mostly we know from Septon Barth, which we did an episode on Septon Barth quite a while ago. Recommend that one. Basically, there's a lot of evidence that, like real-world creatures, they can change gender when needed. If there's a bunch of... There's a lot of species of fish and, and frogs and things like that. If they're just all chilling together and none of them are males, or none of them are females, they will change. They will... They have adjustable you know gender just like that they can it's not it's not like flipping a switch but it's something and they so they should be able to as far as we know i mean there could be magical reasons or just they're too something something that we can't explain but as far as we know yes they should be able to will we see it i'm doubting that but maybe that would be kind of a kind of a neat end of the series thing it's like it's the last episode of all you see a little clutch of eggs is, is there like oh is that a good thing or not? <laughs> it's like ambiguous to do wind. Yeah, maybe it'll be part it's, of some ceremony of yeah. Danny being burned up and what's left behind is two eggs or something. Ooh, wow, yeah. Snow and Winterfell says, would rather have seen ghosts instead of a white bear. D&D appropriated funds poorly on that one. Just saying, bear was cool though. You know what? That's a good call. I would have rather seen ghosts. 
than the white bear. The problem is, if you have Ghost, you need him for the whole yeah. excursion. They were able to just have this short little bit of the bear. That's I think that's maybe why I, it, I one works the other way. Just like at all. Just yeah. at all. It would have okay. been nice to get a scene of Ghost in Winterfell. Yeah, yeah, just one, which apparently they did film one and they cut it, which, yeah, why? That's frustrating, yeah. I guess we'll see that scene later. <laughs> in the It could be material. that there was, that it was a, a bit of plot line that they didn't go down that he was oh. involved in, or maybe it was just not yeah. up to snuff. Maybe they decided okay. the CGI is not good enough. We don't want to involve this, you know. I will say, uh, <laughs> I will say that the bear... <laughs> Let me just explain why I'm laughing. Snow and Winterfell says Trump banned all dragons from military service for being gender fluid. <laughs> now, that's a mistake. Not banning dragons from your military—that is a—that's a bad idea. That's like banning all the battleships. <laughs> no more nuclear missiles. Well, that might be a good thing to do, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as long as everyone does it, let's not only us do that. Let's have everyone do it. The bear does help set precedent, though, for the dragon rising and other wild mm -hmm. creatures being yeah, undead. So. That's true. That's true. It's kind of a lead up to the dragon. DJ Mitchell says, Super Chat, did you catch the Tormund slash husband to bear's hint just before they get attacked by the bear? No woman around, but he will take what he can get when oh, he yeah. says it to Gendry, and then the bear shows up. Yeah. We caught that. We caught that, that was that. good. Yeah, yeah. We didn't mention that, but that is, yeah, of course. Anything with Tormund and bears were. We're on that. <laughs> We're not gonna. Yeah, it was he? He was probably like, "Do I know you? Are you? Uh, <laughs> are you one of my kids?" <laughs> so the, the yeah. So we're talking about this this little ambush thing, and we're talking about the implication of of how they work, and that leads us to Sandor and the White and the trapped on the ice and how they behave, which I guess we mostly talked about before. But again, it kind of shows they can be provoked. You know, the Night King isn't just in full control of them at all times. He gives them some sort of order to stop, like the Borg being told to sleep or something like that. You know, using there's a Star Trek reference kind of randomly. And, but they can, they still do things if they're, like, you know, it's not like if the Night King says stay still and you walk up and just punch it in the face, it's not just going to sit there and take it. You know, they still yeah. have some sort of like basic function or maybe some sort of memory of life. Fear, flight or fight response might still be present. Like the most basic human functions. Well, I don't know why that would be present in a skeleton that he doesn't have a brain, but again, you already pointed out like, well, we're already like, they don't have joints, you know. We'll say maybe the most basic, not human, but the most basic functions of, you know, life, if you will, just fundamental survival, you know. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of odd, you know, like, I kind of like that Sandor is the one who kind of just, like, in the midst of all this terror, He's just getting mad. <laughs> He's just, like, angry. He's like, I'm not scared. I'm mad. It was very much like Arya and Sansa talking about that thing. She's like, you acted out of fear, and fear is bad. I'll take anger. Yeah. You know, and it was like a yeah. parallel out of that. I thought it was kind of, like, Which under the radar. Keep in mind, also, there's more to that. Sandra reacted with fear earlier. Yeah, and the fire, the fire bear, bear was coming right at him, and it was even mauling Thoros, and he just was frozen in fear. He might have been mad at himself for being frozen in fear there, yeah. you know, because yeah. he was like, yeah, it could have helped Thoros, you know. Okay, so Bryce Acree's super chat is, hey, Westeros history, mostly in appreciation. Thank you for being my soundtrack with the dissertation was dark and full of terrors. Well, you're welcome. Thank you, Bryce. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the super chat, and I'm glad we could help out. We're having a good time here discussing an episode that was... Divisive a bit. Not a, a lot of people didn't like it that much, but you know we're doing our usual, which is we you know we keep our we, we keep our criticisms professional as much as we can. We're not here to we're not here to bitch and complain, but we will criticize where it is where it's deserved. Yeah, the writers of Game of Thrones all have smelly breath. 
<laughs> That's what I have to say. Second question from Bryce Cree. He does have an actual question rather than that wasn't a question before. So here's the actual question. Do you think there's a reason Bran didn't intercede in the battle beyond the wall? His spy capacity seems incredible. Is this another plot contrivance? Well, yeah, I think there's a, one of the reasons is they never coordinated with him. Bran didn't even necessarily know no, that they went beyond the wall. Yeah, he didn't, like, again, Sansa even pointed out, we haven't heard from Jon in, in a while. Like, he probably should have sent a letter to Winterfell. Like, this is one of his... One of his common leadership mistakes is improper communication with his subordinates. This is not, this isn't bad writing. This is John's, this is a consistent part of John's personality. It's a character flaw in John, not a flaw in the writing, in my opinion. Not to mention, even if he had told Bran, it's possible that the Night King has some sort of psychic barrier up around this area that Bran can't get through. That's entirely possible. Or that Bran is like scanning the whole north and can't find them. You know what I mean? It's, uh, or is, Lost in memories somewhere in some other time a thousand years ago, or is it scanning the north in the right place, but three days prior or three days into the future? It, Brand's not perfect at this. He's not perfectly yeah. able to use these powers. Yeah, I agree. And uh, he might should have been keeping an eye on it, but I'm not sure that he could have. What's he, I'm not sure he could have done anything. You know, like maybe he could have. You know, I guess the scouting thing is something. You know, he could have maybe had a raven flying around and looking and being like, a raven flies back and goes, Caw. you know, like, it's like, is this Bran? What's, what's this raven yeah. telling us, you know? But I would have liked to see Bran more involved, but I could kind of understand that he's just, he's not all there. And his help would have been useful, though, I admit. It, it, having a little more scouting for him would be cool. But I guess it's kind of hard to pull off from a production standpoint. All right, let's talk about the timeline of this whole excursion. There's a lot of people who want us to talk about this. And we're not going to dwell too much on it because a lot of times show timelines don't make a lot of sense. But this is an example of a show's timelines maybe not making too much sense, but making more sense than it maybe it seems like on the surface. Some people are like, oh, they sat there for days on that ice on. No, that was one day, one night. The whole thing, they made that whole walk in one day. Now, maybe that's unrealistic, but we know that they were getting close. We know that the walker's army is getting close to the wall. That's why Ben, that's what Bran sent the warning in the first place. So I'm okay with them being one long day's walk distance. They're supposed to be getting close. So Gendry's run back is still just one day's worth of running back. It's still exhausting. It's still kind of like, wow, that's impressive that he was able to run that far. But fear and for yourself and other people is the most powerful. You can push yourself well beyond your own human limits when you're that scared or when you're, you know, there's there's real world examples of this. Also, that group would have been traveling way slower than an individual would. Yeah, they had on a sled own. they were dragging they that group, And they kept stopping to talk about, hey, you should take your sword back. You know, they <laughs> they weren't like yeah. hustling. They were moving as a group with equipment. And that, so they're going to be moving you know, I'm guessing maybe maybe 20 miles a day. Yeah. That, that, I think that might that's probably pushing it. You know, yeah. They might only be going 10 miles a day. And if Gendry's running with no equipment, he could easily go 10 Way miles faster. in three hours or two hours. Or, yeah. Know, like, yeah, I mean, it's still the distances might be problematic, but the based on how far they walked, him running back is fine, you know. And, okay, so let's think about the Raven. A couple things to understand here. I, I, I'm with you guys in saying that the Raven traveling there is a bit much, or a lot too much. However, again, it's not as bad as you think, most likely. A dove can fly a thousand kilometers in a day. A dove can travel 55 kilometers an hour or more. Carrier pigeons can go even faster than that. I did a, a little researching, and I, I, I started off with ravens, and it went down a, a wormhole of research, and generally speaking, most birds fly about the same speed. Like a little hummingbird and a big condor, they both fly at about the same speed. And a condor, like when it's slowly circling the air, it's going like seven miles an hour. And most birds at 
traveling speed. And there's like debate on how to define that, but it's usually 20 to 30 miles an hour. A Peregrine Falcon diving is like 200 miles an hour. Now the Raven's not going to go 200 miles. That that's not realistic, you know. But traveling consistently a thousand miles at 50 miles an hour. Yeah, that is completely realistic for a real world Raven. Yes, and um, another thing to keep in mind is that the Earth's curvature means that the higher up you go, the more ground you're sort of subverting. It's like it's like. The, the concept of a wrinkle in time, where you wrinkle folds something, you can travel across it more because you fold it up. It's kind of like that. You go, that's part of why planes fly the way they do. You go high enough in the atmosphere, the higher you go, the shorter your travel time is. Because if you look at the way a globe works, it's like imagine going across the center of a globe versus going across the top of a globe. It's also possible there could be a, a wind, you know, just a, a trade wind. Yeah. That they could just carry and maybe increase their speed by 10, 20, double. I don't know how, how exactly how that would work, but. In the same way that ships do that, when they yes. sail, they don't just go straight across. They will go south to the trade winds and then sail on the trade trade wind to get to where they're going. So I, I, I crunched a bunch of numbers in my head, and I think that if you give the extreme benefit of the doubt in every direction, that all that travel could have happened in less than a day. Mm -hmm. And if you push the, the you know, push to more realistic, you know, maybe not the worst case scenario, but the more realistic case scenario, it's two or three days you know and it did it is possible that they were waiting on that ledge for two or three days they we might not have seen every nightfall they might have, i don't know how long it would take for that ice to freeze over or or if it didn't matter the night king's just waiting for the dragon no matter what Jorah did even say something about you know we're gonna die of exposure it's getting cold we need food you know it i don't think they were just there for like eight hours i think they were there for also a night in the north during the long night winter might be a night might actually be 12 or 14 hours. I think they might have yeah. been there 30 hours waiting easily. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you can see because you can even see with the time passing. It's when they get to that point, it started to be dusk. And then Gendry is running. He's It's dark, pretty dark by the time he gets to the wall. So presumably the raven is sent out right then and it travels all night. You know, 12, 16 hours or whatever, or 10, maybe even as low as 10. And then Danny, because it's morning, it's light when they get the message and Danny leaves. Now, and you would think a magic dragon could fly at least as fast as a dove. And again, <laughs> we've already brought up the fact the dragon shouldn't even be able to fly anyway, based on the way they're built, like the way they're, like, plenty of people have weighed in, like, this shouldn't be possible. But, so, if we're, we're dealing with something that's already impossible, so we can't really fault the show for just carrying on with an, something that's already been put in play. George R. R. Martin's ravens are unrealistic. Yeah. Like, those ravens don't make sense in terms of real world. They're magic ravens, basically. Got to say that the ravens in Westeros are just aren't real world ravens. They're specially bred. Yeah, so yeah. that's the case here. I mean, the show isn't guilty of that. That's George's ravens, and I don't think George is guilty of that either. That's just how his ravens work. His obsidian works differently. His people work differently. The genetics work different. Like, a lot of things work differently. So, that's just how it is. You know, I can understand being frustrated by these things, but and maybe we don't even need to spend bother def time defending them. But, again, this helps me put it all in perspective, like, yeah, this isn't great, but... There have been lots of complaints with the timelines, and usually I see the complaints, but in my mind I can figure out the answer to them. And usually it has to do with, like, the relative presentation of different storylines. But this one, because this is clear storylines, this isn't something that sanded three months ago and are showing it interspliced with something that Danny's doing over a week. This is clearly all happening in a connected timeline. And so it's a little easier to jump on the details. But I think when you do jump on the details, <laughs> it's it's maybe pushing it, but it's not ridiculous. It's yeah, not just preposterous, you know. So I agree. Okay, I see a, a few people here are, don't agree with my explanation of how the curvature works. Well, you guys look it up yourself. I'm I'm sure this is right. You were you, you skydived, right? Yeah, I think it's because the 
I may not be explaining it well. My explanation may not be accurate, but the concept is real. The the earth is round, and when you go up high, you don't have to follow that round. You can go straight across. I'm not exactly sure, but that makes some sense to me. Yeah, I'm I'm like 99% sure this is accurate. I just think I just just explained it badly. So, (laughs) anyway, yeah. We should move on. That's not an important factor in any case. It's it's show canon whether it is realistic or not. It doesn't really matter at this point. Okay, so we predicted a dragon would die this season once we saw that scorpion, right? And yeah, we were yeah. right, but for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> it was I don't think we can give ourselves much credit for that. Also, like I said earlier, it totally kills my Tyrion riding a dragon theory, which isn't even my theory. It's been a theory forever. It might still happen in the books, but yeah, it's not uh, not looking so likely. But we'll be looking, we'll be talking about more about it on Wednesday because obviously book implication stuff we uh, we save for later. But it was kind of like an ice scorpion, like an ice lance thing. And, Similar, yeah. You know, watching Night King throw that was a little weird. But I don't really have a problem with the logistics of it, given his powers It's and all just that. magic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if magic. he can, like, place his hand on the ground and crack open or freeze across, then why can't he just throw a spear magically? It might have even been a magically designed spear. It looked to me in one of the scenes where you saw the White Walkers lined up, like they each had one of those things. And, and I don't remember them each having one before, so I wonder if it's something they designed for this purpose. It may have some magical charge, you know. Uh, Aaron Habig says... Super chat. Uh, thank you, Westeros History. Always a great team. Well, thank you, Aaron, for being here. We love having you here, and we love having all the rest of you guys here. See that you're all sticking with us. And let's keep going. We've gotten through most of our main material here, so let's do it. Yeah, that was one odd thing that was a little missing from, from all that. I guess it must be a production thing. There were no giants. Let's say... Okay, I'm going to take a minute and run down my theory of what the, yeah. the Night King is playing. How, how maybe some of these plot holes could be explained, all right? Let's just say that the Night King, in the same way that Jojen and Melisandre and Beric, not not only do they have visions, but they have they they have this sort of destiny. They feel like they're on some sort of quest. They have a they they can't necessarily exactly explain it, but they feel motivated to, to move in certain directions. Okay, I think the Night King could have that also. Sure. Okay, and if he's motivated, if he's had some sort of vision that he needs to be at this, he needs to be at this lake, and that he needs to have this spear, maybe he's had a vision of a dragon falling out of the sky, he may not know exactly how or what he's supposed to do, but he knows he moves, he needs to move in this direction. Melisandre didn't know exactly who the Chosen One was, or what it meant, but she knew, she thought she knew she had to get Stannis to, to be the one, I know maybe it's not since she's reinterpreting, maybe the Night King is wrong about his interpretations, but... He might have known that he needed to get these men trapped on this ice lake so that when a dragon dies, it doesn't burn up. Yeah. It falls into the water and doesn't burn up. Well, then, just for this, to this one point, you can't have a giant stepping out on the ice and crack. Does that make sense? That yeah. might be why the giants were brought on. It's why the, it's okay. why the chains were brought along, because he knew he was going to have to pull okay. the dragon out of the ice. All right. yeah. It's why he didn't kill John and all them through the night, because he needs them to be there as a lure for the dragon to come. Now, there is one little hole in my analysis. I feel like I covered all the bases, but someone pointed out to me that at a certain point, now, it might be just because the Night King doesn't know the exact timing, but at a certain point, you know, once Gendry's gone, deliver the message, Raven sent, Danny's coming. At that point, Danny doesn't know what's happening here anymore. Mm-hmm. So he can go ahead and kill him. She's yeah. still coming with the dragon anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, maybe the Night King doesn't know that either. The Night King's not sure whether or not she's coming either until he can see it. Yeah. So Also, you know, that's a, another question someone else brought up is why didn't the, the Night King Lance Drogon, who was just sitting there? Well, I, I mean, it could easily just be, you know, a weird decision by the writers. But I think it makes sense. At least you can argue that it makes sense, which is that Viserion was actively torching his army. 
And he wanted to, and he's like, well, that one's just sitting there. I can kill that one in a minute from now after I stop this one from torching yeah. my army. When you play pool, you, you don't, you, you let the easy shots wait. You take the tough shots and you get the easy shots later. Yeah. On top of that, though, there's another thought that I had connected to a thought I had earlier. Beric didn't die. We all thought he would die. He must have been left alive for a reason. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Night King knows the reason. Maybe uh. the Night King knows the reason. Maybe the Night King doesn't want to kill John or Danny. Maybe hmm. he, part of his vision, his plan, his destiny is connected to them. Possible. Uh, maybe not John, but some of the others is possible. Because he certainly, the, when John was the only one there, the dead were still chasing, like completely coming after him when Benjamin saved him. That, but, that but is still, true, but still. that didn't seem to be the Night King's design. It might not have been. He they didn't may like have been... instruct that. They just randomly noticed and swarmed yeah, after him. Yeah, that's you know? possibly true. So, yeah, you might be right there. Okay, the Snow in Winterfell says, this, this show isn't perfect, neither are the books, but really, it's got dragons, zombies, ice creatures, shadow babies, an undead mountain, warlocks, and we are complaining about the speed of ravenflies. <laughs> yep. Way to inject some logic into all this. Very, very sensible comment there. Yeah, it's really just select. Sometimes it does feel like, as much as I will never say there aren't plenty of things to, uh, to complain about with the show, plenty of things worth criticizing, but definitely some of the complaints from this episode feel like selective outrage. <laughs> things that we've already seen. It's kind of like, here's a good example I like to use. It's like, okay, if you want to complain about the realism in Star Wars, you point out the fact that you could see the bullets and that, you know, like someone can block us. If you, if you want to say you can block a bullet with a lightsaber, how come no one ever fires two bullets at the same time? They're always coming one at a time like yeah. martial arts dudes <laughs> do in martial arts movies, one at a time. It's like complaining about that in the fifth Star Wars movie. It's like, yeah. if you're going to complain about it in the first one, okay. But if you're, you're complaining about it in the fifth movie, they've been it's doing this for five straight movies. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little more about the aftermath. A lot, Again, a lot of the stuff that's coming in the future here, we're going to talk about on Saturday. That's usually that's our pattern. We're going to stick to it. But there's just a few observations about what the, what the aftermath is going to lead to. Food for thought for everybody. Carl Tanner thought he was a legend, right? Carl Tanner, Jin Alley, you know, fucking legend. Tormund is just on another level here. This is a wildling who's fought the the dead, who exit, you know, the one of the first wildlings to live in the south, to move in the south, to ride a dragon, to man the wall. Yeah, like this is this guy's a legend. <laughs> <laughs> and too bad for him Brienne is going south. <laughs> oh, didn't he also do something about a bear or something too? Is that part of his legend? <laughs> so that is too bad, but it, but it does set up an interesting meeting. We, we were wondering if Sandor and Brienne would come into contact at Winterfell. They're going to both be at King's Landing though. Now, so this is another thing that's a little weird about the magic going on here is the, they carried a white through the wall, a, an active white through the wall, when the only other time we saw the dead pass through the wall was when they were not animated, and then they rose once they got to the other side. So I'm not sure if this is, I don't know that this is automatically an inconsistency, but it might be, you know, and so it might involve something around like, well, the Night King can't order them through the barrier, or they can't be, they can't move through the barrier on their own. But if someone brings them, it works. I mean, it's magic, so like it doesn't have to conform to some sort of logical rules of, well, that should apply also because of yeah. this. So, but it is, you know, worth pointing out. I think is maybe a maybe a thing, the Night King you know? can't see beyond the wall naturally, mm. right? I don't even know how impactful this would be, but maybe he can do it through Bran. Now that Bran is south, he can see what Bran sees, or maybe ravens yeah. that fly over the wall, he can see what they see. Yeah. But maybe if a white goes to the king's landing, suddenly the night king has a can have visions of night. Mm. I wonder if 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 a white walker concerns himself with the with what a lion says. <laughs> <laughs> so your uh, your prediction for a zombie Clegane bowl doesn't look so good, but Clegane yeah. bowl itself with you know one living one dead could absolutely still happen. So 
keep your fingers crossed, he is going to King's Landing, and that is where his brother is. So we'll see, we'll see. Something to look forward to. Um, with John and Danny, as part of their aftermath, we have, you know, she doesn't drive Drogon home. She takes ship with John, which is cool, and she sees his stab wounds. She very noticeably sees the stab She doesn't comment on them, but she sees them. The camera focuses on her, them with his eyes, and her, her eyes looking right at them, so... She knows something's up. She's working on that mystery. The, the truth hasn't come out yet. But. Danny has that kind of weird fetish. <laughs> <laughs> Scar fetish, stab wound fetish. <laughs> now, okay, so a lot of people are disappointed here. Not with the scene, but with John's decision. Here is a, a uh, question sent in on Patreon ahead of time from uh, Lady Allison Swan. Do you think there's any merit to the idea that John is playing Danny? This comes from... The anything before the word but is uh, bull quote from earlier and the I bend the knee but, you know, <laughs> which is uh, funny to say. I just keep trying to make sense of the scene and it's just not computing. Why would John betray the North and the Starks like this, especially when she was agreeing to help before he said that? Well, I I'm, I honestly don't see it as a betrayal. John is always done what he thinks is right for his people, regardless of whether they think it's right for them or not. He is a little bit paternalistic, but he's also right, because he knows, he absolutely again, they haven't seen this army of the dead. They haven't yeah. seen the Night King, and he has. And he is bending the knee because to me, the reason she, he bent the knee a couple of reasons. One, he's grateful and feels a little guilty. Two, but more importantly, she did it. She put her mouth, money where her mouth was. She did put herself at risk and for the cause of the North. And too. suffered loss. Yes. She did the right thing. She, John, she proved to John that she will fight for humanity. That she is the, a worthy leader. So a couple things. One, like you said, they may perceive it as a betrayal, but John doesn't. Yes. And so you can see him doing something he doesn't think is wrong. And he might also recognize, likely recognizes, that they'll perceive it as a betrayal. But just like you got to see it to believe it. Danny's got to see these zombies to believe it. you got to see those dragons breathe the fire to believe it. You know, mm -hmm. the, yeah. No one in the North has even seen them, much less seen them in action like John just did. John sold. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and, and he even says, like, they'll... He says something to the effect of they'll see you for what you are. And on some level, that's, you know, for... The, the, the good leader, the person who want to make a sacrifice, the, the, the ally that's on her side, the person that could kill you all with fiery dragons if you don't bend the knee. That's what you really, they'll come to see who you really are. <laughs> yeah, so it looks like all this kind of talk at Winterfell of Glover and Royce, like, kind of agitated by the situation is going to go somewhere. Like, whether Sansa wants to be ruling the North is an open question. How her how much loyalty she has to John? I think she's pretty loyal to John. But if the Northern Lords push her around and are like, "No, we're gonna leave if you don't do this," what choice does you know? She's gonna be caught in some awkward choices, especially knowing Arya's threatening her at the same time, and she's gonna be really caught in a tough spot. Yeah, imagine if they get word that John bent the knee to Danny. And, they probably and so will. They and he won't Queen be able to explain it. Queen of the North. They're chanting to Sansa, and Arya's in the background just seething. You know what I mean? <laughs> and what will she do about it? Yeah, because yeah. she's she will she might take action. So yeah, that's the problem. Like, because it's not just Sansa. It's not just like she said. She has to blow kind of with the political wind. She can be a firm ruler, but she can't just tell everybody what to do. She can't just start chopping heads off like she said. Yeah. All right, all right, doesn't see it that way though, and that is part yeah. of their current problem. So yeah, I think that's going to be very problematic. I think that the fact that they're going to hear it through a message. And maybe John will maybe John will send the message and word it well, but still, it's the amount the you know the, the sum summation of that message will be 
I bent the knee to Daenerys, to the Dragon Queen, who Royce is like, you can't trust the Targaryen, you know, and all this yeah. other... Even if it's not fair, like, it's just like Sansa said, it's not fair to judge me for it, but I have been married to two of our enemies, you know? Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the Night King a little more, a little aftermath. Of course, we see the, the, the final scene there of pulling Viserion out of the water. So it turns out that that shot of Drogon's eye with Jon was a bit of foreshadowing. You get a nice close look at the eye. So with this other eye shot, Mr. Shea is going to pull yeah. up the blue eye here, which is so cool, was a setup. I did not see that coming. I mean, we saw the dragons coming, the, the raising of the dragon coming as soon as it died. But the eye shot, that was just, ooh, tricky, tricky. Nice job. Yeah. Viserion has got a cool eye. Imagine Red John, eye, blue eye. <laughs> imagine John looking into the eye of, of Rhaegal. And yeah. then writing it, and I came looking into the eye of Viserion. I wonder what. And then writing it. Wonder what color Rhaegal's eyes are. I think they might be golden because Drogons are red. I think we're Viserion. I think I think Rhaegal's are golden. I'm not sure. They might just be green like him. But we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if we've. I'm, we may have seen it up close, and I'm just not remembering. But we shall see. Um, interestingly, the White Walkers seem to have avoided water to this point entirely. Like they didn't go. They they had to use the chains to pull the dragging out he couldn't just like go in there and he didn't wa wait out on shore there when at hard home what was that movie what was that m night Shyamalan? <laughs> all of the m night Shyamalan <laughs> movies are... well the one where they had to avoid water though no more all of them oh, they were... don't, they, oh that's true yeah. <laughs> not all of them but multiple movies water is it was signs <laughs> and signs is what I was trying like to lady in the water had a water theme and so did uh unbreakable yeah when he unbreakable fell in the pool, in the pool. Yeah, he lost his powers right. What is up with that? The most ordinary substance is so powerful <laughs> in Shyamalan movies. So I guess that's the real secret here, is that the Night King is M. Night Shyamalan. He's M. Night King Shyamalan. <laughs> it all fits. <laughs> so yeah, what is this dragon going to do? This is why I started talking about imagination at the beginning of this episode, is to bring it, all, bring it all back here to think about all the possibilities for this dragon and what it can do. Can it fly? Can it breathe fire? Can it breathe ice? Can it do both? Can it do neither? Can Will Night King ride it? Yeah. Sean's on the confetti bandwagon. I'm not so sure myself. <laughs> if it can breathe fire, then that's how they get through the wall, I guess. Which almost makes you think it won't be the, the, the answer. But yeah. if it is, man, what a, what a, how, talk about humanity shooting itself in the foot there. Let's go steal one dead body and accidentally bring the wall down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Oopsie. So, and all those are just those are just all guesses. We have no way of saying, oh, the evidence suggests that it can breathe. We have no evidence for anything here. Yeah. <laughs> we don't. I mean, as far as I know, but I do think it can probably fly. Its wings weren't damaged, and like you said, it doesn't even matter if its wings were damaged. It's magical in the first place. You know, I keep waiting. I keep waiting for the Night King to say something. Someone pointed out to me that apparently, somewhere between the writers or George or some creator. David Peterson gave them a language, I believe. Gave them a language. Shross, okay. or I don't know if they have a language, or just they talked about them. Someone said that it had been said that they weren't going to speak. And oh, bummer. A, I'm mm -hmm. hoping that's inaccurate, or that it changed. They changed their mind about what they want to do or how they want hmm. to do it, because I really want it to happen. And it's there's a new thing to think that the Night King might say, Dracarys. Oh. Imagine him saying that. <laughs> Ice Karis. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we have some questions pulled from ahead of time from some patrons. Matthew Keogh wants to know, with the Night King being able to kill a dragon with one spear throw, does this imply we may get to see Valyrian barding for the dragons or even attempt at dragonglass barding? That would be cool, but I wouldn't hold out hope for it. I think that's, uh, they didn't even do saddles, so I'm kind of guessing yeah. we're not going to get dragon barding. That would be really cool. Brandon <laughs> Swepson Super Chat. Can Danny and John have a kid since it would be a dragon? 
You know, that's a loaded question. That is a loaded question. <laughs> we don't know if they can have a kid at all, but you know, it seems like they'll probably try. Or the kid would be a to. dragon. That's also that you know. <laughs> I think they're going to be having sex at some point. So well, maybe we'll find out. But I'm guessing that. Uh, I'm guessing that no. Um, right now, I'm going to guess that no, she can't have kids. Although I think that might be different in the books. We'll see. There's some maybe some evidence in the books that she that she might that. It might not be so simple. I've thought a lot about this, and I, in fact, specifically was asked by Lauren Sarner to you know, contribute to a piece that she wrote about the idea of John having kids, whether or not he could, what the potential of him having a lineage or whatever. And I, I just defaulted almost every, every angle I came at it that John could have kids. I, I put a little less on research into Danny. But something I that, that steers me away from it is that I don't know if they'll have time to go down that road. Mm. You know what I mean? Okay, the same yeah, way that yeah, we yeah. wondered about Sansa being pregnant with Ramsay's kid, but we kind of decided, well, uh, how long uh, did it have to spend nine months of her going through pregnancy and the baby being born? And how much plot line do you give to that? And I, I sort of began to disregard that. The fact that we only have six episodes next season, there's only one more this season and six next season. Now, if each episode's an hour and a half, that's still the equivalent maybe of ten episodes, but I still don't think that's enough time to go through. <laughs> maybe there's time jumps between each of these episodes. I'm not sure, but I, I feel like they're not going that direction. I mm. I want to say that they can, that I believe that they can have kids, but that I don't, if they do, I don't believe we'll see it. If we see it, it'll be like the... Danny pregnant in the last episode or something like Especially that. Especially with this idea that we kind of came up with during this episode, which is that maybe this whole they can't breed thing is going to force them to come up with a new term of government. Exactly. Yeah. So if they have a child, then all of a sudden, well, this is the heir. <laughs> and then, then that whole, that's all out the window. So this might work better. So, all right. We had talked about talking about some non-show stuff afterwards, but I think since we're at three-hour mark, we're gonna, we'll save that for another day. Um, but we will maybe give a little preview for that. We are going to talk about other shows that we cover on our podcast, Fandom Media, and we want to try to get a feel from you guys, since you are our audience. We, we haven't developed a big audience for Fandom Media yet, and a lot of you guys are part of that audience, so we want to kind of get a feel for what you guys are interested in outside of Game of Thrones. Tell us what shows you're interested in. We'll tell you what shows we're interested in. We're just going to have a hangout and chat about it. And, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun. It won't be, you know, it'll, it won't have Game of Thrones content. But we wanted to get this conversation out there one of these days. Apparently today is not, not the right day for it. But y'all think about that in between. You think of, you know, talk about what show, get, get ready, you know, think about what shows you want us to talk about. Maybe we'll be able to connect on some things like that. So we're just building this for the future, you know, because obviously we have a couple of seasons. You know, we have two years between now and season eight. And we want to, Keep hanging out with you guys. We want to keep having conversations. Most of them will be Game of Thrones oriented, but we want to be able to broaden our horizons a bit so that, uh, you know, just because it's fun. You know, we all like each other. We're all, you know, we're all kind of internet buddies. Some of us have met in person and all that. So we want to do that. That's uh, something we want to do for fun. I've always tried to approach film and, and nowadays I, I count television as film, you know, with the critical eye. And, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of it is just fun. Some is just entertaining and explosion and stuff like that. But there's a lot of, I'm going to say, you know, art, sort of, uh, symbolism and drama and insight that's tied up in a lot of film and literature, TV, media, you know. And, uh, and I've really, doing this show has really got me deeper into that process than ever before. And doing other shows, the type of stuff we're doing here, we get to do with other shows. There's other shows that are as deep and artful as this one. And, um, and I think a lot of you guys might also like to do that. Might also like mm. to find some other shows that have some depth and put the same thought and watch our analysis on it, you know. Super chat from Perry down in Mexico. Thanks, Perry. Appreciate that. He says he came in late. That's fine. 
We are still going here, even if it won't be for a whole lot longer. Definitely had time for this. Why did Cersei invite Sansa and not John in the first place? Is that what happened? Is Was it addressed to Sansa? I'm not sure that it was. If it was, that is very interesting and bears further thought, but I didn't catch that. I just thought it was a letter and it would have just been addressed to the king in the north. But if it was addressed to Sansa, that is very interesting. It was addressed to her specifically. Yeah. I don't know that it would... I'm gonna assume you're right. Let's say that Perry's right. So let's let's work with it as if that's accurate, and we'll just have to double check that later. And if it's not, then then this will be for naught. But if it is, I can think that maybe she is trying to undermine John, or maybe she's she wants Sansa to be there because she wants to reclaim her. She it could be a bunch of things. One, it could be, and this is I'm gonna tell you my default thought first. Okay. My default thought. She knows that John can't leave, so go for the number two person. Does that make sense? John can send Sansa and he will trust the knowledge yeah. that she comes back with. Mm. I think that's one way to look at it, right? Mm. But another is that something was mentioned earlier is that maybe Sansa wrote that letter as a plant of some sort. Now, that doesn't make sense when she burns it right away. But maybe it's enough. To, maybe she just needs to convince Brienne to leave and Brienne telling Littlefinger to leave. That also, Even if he doesn't read the letter, these actions set in motion still might be enough for Sansa to mislead Littlefinger. Um, but uh, another idea is that I keep thinking about Cersei's comment. There's, there's some things she wants to get back. Maybe Sansa's one of them. And if she could seize Sansa as a prisoner a somehow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, yeah uh, but again, hostage, that, yeah. that is a monkey wrench in Cersei's plan. If Sansa doesn't come, I think that's interesting. So, Yeah, that is a good point. I see a few people coming in saying, I thought this was going to be over by now. Yeah, sometimes we go long. <laughs> sometimes we go very long. Yeah, we actually got 6,000 viewers earlier, so we're doing 24 hours now. <laughs> I can't believe you guys weren't here when that happened. I am both. <laughs> I'm glad you're lying about that. I, I know it would be fun to do a 24-hour stream. It wouldn't be good to do that unprepared. Just, <laughs> oh, looks like we're now starting a 24-hour stream right this minute. I would like to make sure I get a nice long nap first. <laughs> and line up oh, several pots of coffee. <laughs> I see a lot of good show suggestions in here, so we're uh, we're we're keeping uh, sort of keeping track of that. Ashe is watching, and so are we. And unfortunately, these chat comments, you know, after the fact, they all get deleted. You know, they're not they're not preserved. So, if you want to send an email to WestrosHistory at gmail.com with shows you want us to be covering in these live streams after Game of Thrones season is over, and, and in addition, again, in addition to regular Game of Thrones coverage, we're not going to be slowing down on that even. After the season, well, we're not going to be going at the same pace we do during the season. I just mean in general, the Game of Thrones content will not stop from this channel at any point in the near future. But we can always add some more stuff. So, uh, yeah, definitely let us send us an email if you like. If you have some suggestions, you certainly send more than one suggestion if you want. And we will do some concatenating and kind of see what the most popular suggestions are that line up with things that we're already interested in. I, uh, I have... I've I'm constantly thinking about lists and ratings and how and why I like things and which ones I like more and what to recommend to people and how different my recommendations are versus what I personally enjoy most versus what I think are the maybe the highest quality or whatever. And um, a thought I've had recently that, that that might be helpful, especially for the sake of getting and giving recommendations. This, this is like an idea I've come up with. A point system, okay? You got 10 points to distribute among shows and each season the show has uses up a point. Mm. So, for example, if you wanted to say Game of Thrones and Better Call Saul, that'd be seven plus three points, that's it. That's your ten points. Mm. But you could name ten different one-episode series and get to, you could say, you know, Band of Brothers, Firefly, uh, Better Things, Stranger Things, you know, and you could get ten different, or whatever mix in between. 
If that makes sense and you guys are absorbing this, tweet them to me. Tweet your 10-point list of seasons worth of shows to me. Or email them to History Westeros or whatever. But Yeah, at I, Dancing Sean is his Twitter. Yeah, at that's my Twitter. Dancing Sean, just how it... Just how it looks, yeah. I, I can't figure out how to word that description of that system in 160 characters on Twitter, but I was able to say it in a way that maybe people can follow up with that. Yeah, and I see Shea is talking to a lot of you guys about some of the shows that we're definitely covering, so keep an eye on the comment box for some of the shows that we, we are already pretty sure, like Broad City and Mr. Robot. Uh, Sean and I are probably going to cover Vikings for Fandom Media, and uh, you know we could have some of those chats about that show here on History of Westeros Channel 2 during these live streams. It's a good time for it. So, well, that's another thing we're working on. Oh, someone suggested Last Kingdom. Yeah, I would love to talk about yeah. Last Kingdom. I've read all the books, too. It's a, I really like that series. So That's really good in conjunction with Vikings, too. Vikings is a lot of material at this point, but Vikings and Last Kingdom together are really good shows. Yeah. Snow and Winterfell says Vice Principles. We haven't really watched that one. Sean watched one episode of it. We kind of... Danny McBride cracks me up, Danny McBride is funny. <laughs> he is really funny. Oh, here's one. Here's a super chat from Alan Petty Jr. Finally can catch one of these shows live and make a super chat. Love your show, love your analyses, and reasonable thinking. Well, thanks, Alan. We appreciate that. We appreciate your analysis of our analysis. I've been trying to be unreasonable this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're just going to have to try harder or try less hard. I don't know what it is. Depends <laughs> if you're trying to be reasonable or not. <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much, Alan. We appreciate that. Appreciate everyone who showed up today. I'm gonna. We're going to move on to our... Um, credits, but the credits take a few minutes, so still plenty of time to send your show ideas to Ashea and just put them in the chat here. And if you miss your chance, just send them to us on Twitter at Sean there, at Dancing Sean, uh, or to WestrosHistory at gmail.com. All right. So let us give some thanks. First off, thank you to Ashea for, as always, holding it all down. She is the anchor and the glue. And uh, other words that fit that description, mm -hmm. supportive, uh, connected, uh, on top of things, you know, all those good things. All of them are true. Also, thanks to Michael Klarfeld for our video intro, which we use as an outro for the live streams as well. Thank you to Joey Townsend for the music that is used in that video. Thank you to Jesse Koval for covering that music into a blues version that we use at the end of our audio-only podcast. All really good stuff. Thank you to farfarawaysite.com for the stills. That site's been really valuable to us all season long. Thanks also to Watchers on the Wall. I don't know if we, I don't think we used any Watchers on the Wall shots this time, but we use them pretty often. So I want to make sure to give them a shout out from time to time. Um, looks like Ashea is adding into the document a lot of things that you guys are saying, so keep them coming. In the meantime, let's get to the patrons. <clears throat> yes, yes. Starting with our mysterious BR, Hand of the King, Lord Michael Valerian, Knight of High Tide and Guardian of the DeLorean, Hand of the Queen. Let's see, I want to give a particular shout out to Lady Suzanne Sinistral, the learned holder of the left-handed Valerian shears called Penance, Hand of the Beard. She's working on some artwork for my house and is even helping oh. me define it a little bit. We've come up with house words, trim, don't shave. <laughs> Lady Suzanne also manages a band called Longwall. Ha! Nice. Right down the middle. Right there. That's awesome. Okay, also thanks to Sir Valentin of House to Jen, creator of the Game of Predictions, which is that free Game of Thrones prediction slash futures market, which you can find a link to on our supporters page. Lord, thanks to Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West. Check out his podcast, To Wage War. I'm plugging his show, and he doesn't even know it, because Jim quit watching the TV show back in season five, but he's still supporting us on Patreon. 
We appreciate that, even though you don't hear this appreciation. <laughs> Lord George Stormsville the Cunning is Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Cabeth the Unfrozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, Defender of the Old Gods and Warden of the North. Thanks to Lady Kelly McMath of Covington, Lady of the Villa Hills of Crescent Springs and Warden of the South. The elite from outside the realm include Lord Osborne of Castle Werewoods, who is spreading the Old Gods by planting werewood saplings in the Reach, Stormlands, Crownlands, and rumors that he's going overseas as well. Lord James Tuttle is King of the Stepstones and the Narrow Sea. His royal fleet consists of two smaller fleets, the Narrow Fleet, led by flagship Caraxes, and the Bloodstone Fleet, led by flagship Prince Damon. The small council consists of Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, Master of Whisperers, Grand Maester Surya of the Barrows is Cinder of the Citadel, Lord Robert Jacobs is Master of Coin, Rosie the Clever is Master of Laws, the Queen's High Council is made up of Lady Jane of House Celtigar, the Emerald of the Evening, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Axe Painkiller, Mistress of Sea Eagles, Mistress of Ships, Lady Mai of House Swan, Mistress of Whispers, Elia of Upstate, Master of Coin, Grand Maester M. Elizabeth, middle daughter of Lyanna Mormont, First Lady to forge both Silver and Valyrian Steel Links, and Lady E.S., Master of Laws. Council of the Beard includes Grand Maester Clark, Protector of Wisdom and Beards, our King's Guard is commanded by Lord Commander Sir Christopher Dane of Starfall, Sentinel of the Torrentine. Our Queen's Guard is commanded by Lord Captain Commander Hayma Helminth, the Sellsword Sentinel. And the Beard Guard is commanded by Lord Commander George the Gold. And he's backed up by Sir Joshua Oakenheart, the White Oak, and Lady Rita of the Coppermane, the Unbound, Dance the Fever. Fervor. Oh, fervor. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> Dance the Fever and Dance the Fervor. Do both. Double dancing. Yes, lots of dancing. Also, our lords and ladies in their high castles include Lady Dyerless of Castle Nyaki, the Alpha Patron, Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell is Breaker of the Second Stone, and Generous Super Chatter, thanks for that, Lord Dan. Well, lord Skip of the Velt is Lord of Castle Ganges, Gregor the Toasty is Lord of Breadfort, Alicia Everlasting is of the Greenblood and Lady of Desert Rose, Lord Ryan of Castle Stonegate is Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass, Lord Garen de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawkseye, Lady of Castle Skyfall. I believe we saw you in the chat today, too. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. Um, Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is wielder of the Valyrian Steel Machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whitaker is Lord of the Dawnhold. Lord Bemmy Snugglebunny is guardian of the Hidden Hundred Acre Werewood and holder of the Vorpal Snugglebunny. Lord Brandon Brewer is of Castle Black Rune, sworn Alesmith to House Stark, Grand Master of the Zithamancer's Guild, and Keeper of the Buzz. Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort and the Freelands, slash Scion of Clan McCulloch. Motto, Strength and Courage. The Bastard of the Wolfswood is First Forester of the Old Gods, sworn to House Iron Werewood. Motto, Listen for the Silence. Connor the Dungeon Master is Lord of Catamount Keep and Guardian of the Smoky Mountain Pass. King's Justice is Sir Troy the Steady, wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade Fate. And last but certainly not, not ever least, is our History of Westeros Night's Watch, which is commanded by Lord Commander Daenerys Flint, avenging the memory of brave Danny. First Ranger Fabian Flowers is the Bastard of Greenshield. First Builder Patchface is of Motley Wisdom. And First Steward Sir Jirion of the Torrentine is called Pelt. All right. That about does it. Thank you very much for everybody sticking with us for an extra long episode. This will all create problems on YouTube, as it always does, but they'll be temporary. <laughs> it's just a thing. Whenever we put up a video, a live stream on YouTube that's over two hours, YouTube, for the first, say, 20 to 30 to 45 minutes of it being posted, the first hour or so is missing. That's just a YouTube bug. It's been around for a while. Nothing much we can do about it. But 
inevitably we get comments on it every time the show goes up. And people are like, where's the beginning? Like, Whatever the excess of two hours. Yeah, the, the excess of two hours is always cut off from the beginning, but it always appears within 30 to 45 minutes. So you just have to refresh the episode afterwards. It's not much, uh, not much help hearing this at the end, but <laughs> maybe that'll help you next time. Anyway, on behalf of Ashea and Sean, we will see you all next time. Thank you for joining. Valar reread us, Valar rewatch us. See you Wednesday and/or Saturday. And if not, enjoy Sunday's episode. See you next Monday. Bye.